Digital Gonzo episode 144, recorded January 27th, 2013, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, part 2. Welcome back to Digital Gonzo. When we left the Turtles, they were in a state of ruin, having blundered too far down the alley of consequence-free silliness, zero standards, and absolutely no adherence to their origins. The second phase that began five years later never hit the insane popularity of the early 90s, and it's likely never to again, uh, with novelty now replaced by nostalgia. But that's not a bad thing, because for the past ten years since 2003, their resurgence has been a time of more serious approaches, smarter storytelling, and by far and away, the best of the four films. Welcome to the second renaissance for Leonardo, Donatello, Michelangelo, and Raphael. See what I did there? Yes. <laughs> We're joining me for this discussion of Matt Ramsey. Hello. And Neil Taylor. Hello. Hello. Right. Now, here's the thing I found after doing uh, some research, because I was looking into the 03 uh, Fox TV series. This is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 03 TV series. It was produced by 4Kids Entertainment and Mirage Studios. Those were the guys who made the original black and white comic, which each owned half the rights to the show, and it was animated by Dong Wu Animation. In the 2003 TV series, the four Turtles personalities are in some way different from the 87 TV series, in an attempt to follow the Mirage comics version of the characters more closely. All characters are more complex individuals, and the Turtles have a stronger family bond. The tone is also somewhat more serious with an emphasis on action. The show does not feature nearly as much slapstick comedy or heavy puns as its animated predecessor. The series covers a larger scope of the Turtles' adventures, taking them from the sewers to outer space, alternate dimensions to the future, and ultimately home once again. The first several seasons focus on the Turtles' battles against the Shredder and the Foot, while the later seasons branch out to include other antagonists. Right, now here's what I found out. There were 156 episodes of this O3 series. Quite a few, then. Yeah. It ran from um, 2003 all the way through to 2010, which actually meant after Turtles Forever, the uh, movie where the, the new, these new versions meet the older, wacky versions of themselves, um, and all the way to 2010, which meant that they came after the 2007 movie we're going to be talking about. Uh, and what I noticed was that... And this is probably uh, the, the case across the board for the Turtles. Whenever they restart the, the uh, TMNT, they go all the way back to the drawing board and they go, right, what made the Mirage comics 
good and iconic and and what was good about that and and, and we'll, we'll capture that again and we'll go back to the sort of more serious roots we'll give them sort of the, the ninja eyes and we'll make them much more iconic type characters and much more you know sort of ready for action and we'll go back to the the whole them being found and Hamato Yoshi or Splinter depending on whether it was the rat or Yoshi himself and we'll go back to Shredder and we'll go back to them being you know trained so the 03 version the 2012 Nickelodeon series and to a degree, the 07 TMNT that we're going to talk about tonight all do that. However, on a long enough time scale, and this was true of the comics, this was definitely true of the 87 series, and it's absolutely true of the 2003 series, given free reign, the turtles get taken on wild and wacky adventures, and it becomes less and less about the original core idea, and more and more about just chucking them in, into crazy scenarios. And I actually sat and watched some episodes from the later seasons, and they're absolute crap. I've got to say, the fast-forward thing is actually really, like, insultingly awful. To begin with, the first, like, three seasons, three, four seasons of uh, the 03 series were much more sort of, you know, we're turtles, we fight together. Kind of like adapting the Mirage comics for to be accessible to kids. Uh, by the sixth season, in July 2006, so three years later... Not even all that long then. Um, they had been sent into the future to the year 2105 and they'd met the... This doesn't sound as crappy as it actually is. And they'd met these, the great-great-grandson of Casey Jones and April O'Neil. And uh, let, me, let me find the title sequence for you guys to check out. Why am I thinking that when franchises die, they either go into space... Japan. <laughs> go to the future... Actually, they went to Japan world. as well. In uh, in season five, they go to feudal Japan, and uh, there was no, some... no, no flashbacks. No, it's better than the two thousand, the, the nineteen ninety three movie Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three, but not much. Uh, well, I, I don't know. Actually, this season didn't seem so bad. But here's the thing: they were going to go from the the classic turtles straight to uh, to feudal Japan, and then uh, save fast forward for the year afterwards. But then they. I think the toy companies panicked a bit because the, the sales were dropping for their toys. So they went, let's go back to the 1987 wacky roots when, when everything was popular and we'll just sort of shunt this one forward. So season five ended up going straight to DVD and it is referred to as the lost episode. So season six was season five. There's a lot of confusion there. And then they didn't even finish season five because people were getting so confused. It's ninja time! Yeah. Turtles surfed in all the way from the past. It's like the future's a party that's Leonardo has lightsabers. Oh, yeah. That is ultimately badass. A, a Ninja Turtle with lightsabers would be very cool, but yeah. that, yeah. doesn't really, that doesn't appeal to me, I have to say. 
Um, okay, right. I can't actually take issue with this uh, myself, that because ultimately it's it's a show aimed at kids and it's a show designed to sell action figures and they're just doing what they've always done, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Not of all any interest to me. And but the thing is, if you, I go back and watch the earlier seasons, I didn't really even like that all that much either. I mean, it's 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 okay. I prefer the uh, interest in action and less in jokes, but. Um, when they do go to feudal Japan, and I did watch some of this, it's like they were, they're being kind of a bit too serious about it. They're like, we've gone back in the past, what are we gonna do? Oh my god. And then, like, Mikey starts sort of goofing around, and it's just to try and diffuse the tension. Um, so, yeah, it, on one hand, they're taking themselves too seriously, on the other hand, the humour isn't actually all that good. So, uh, I haven't got that many good things to say about this middle, uh, Ninja Turtles series, because it just seems to be a bit mismanaged, and there was Far too much of it, and as we've seen, over 156 episodes, they got it, 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 it's got very much the sense of if you throw enough shit at a wall, we've run out of ideas. What can we do? Just listen to this um, description of uh, how after they'd finished the future one, they kind of you know, and after the 07 movie came out, they tried to bring it back to its roots. Following their intention to return the characters to the present day and adapt a tone similar to the recent TMNT movie, four kids. Uh, pitched a revamp of the series to Peter Laird, codenamed Superworld. The initial proposal was given the thumbs down by Laird. Following this, there was a second proposal called TMNT Overload, which was approved by Mirage, but rejected by Playmates, who then proposed their own ideas, only to have them rejected by Four Kids and Mirage. On October 24th, Steve Murphy confirmed that on his blog that Playmates, the makers of the toys, Mirage, the makers of the comic, and Four Kids, the makers of the cartoon, had firmly agreed on the new direction, which will take place in the continuity of the 2003 series and use the more, more realistic aspects of the aborted overload pitch with character design similar to that of the 2007 TMNT movie. For that, all they did is really just add pupils. They didn't have pupils before, they had ninja eyes, and now suddenly they got pupils. But it's the same kind of wacky stuff going on. And... Here is what worries me: that if you do Ninja Turtles for long enough, it becomes asinine. You sort of, I think, you get caught up in some of the more wackier elements. I mean, in the first arc of the original eighty eighty series, you had the oh, what was it? The, the teenagers from Dimension X thing. Yeah, yeah, that's and like the fourth episode. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's like ooh, yeah, that's a little. You know, I like the shredder, the crang bit you sort of can get behind, but then you introduce these teenagers from Dimension X who have a flying car, which is they're basically... They're hot rodders. I mean, the, the going into space and stuff was in the like black and white comics back in like 1985. So, I mean, they met the Triceratons and the Fugitoid like way back before the, cartoon, the first cartoon even came out. So that's been there since the beginning, really. It's what Eastman and Laird wanted. But that's the thing. Even when they were just left to their own devices, the Turtles went, you know, batshit mental meeting aliens. And I think ultimately it's fine. It's just it depends on the writing and it depends on how much we're really going to end up with. Now... I will jump ahead and say that I actually really like the 2012 series now. I've seen all the episodes so far. I actually think that they balance the humour and the action much better than both the the first two. I think perhaps that is a problem with the Turtles, and maybe tone is a little awkward with them. Mm. Uh, that's the thing, when when people were going crazy about the um, the Michael Bay thing, they were going, you can't have these guys be aliens from Dimension X. That's not They're not mutants then. And it's like, well, ultimately... Everything about the turtle storyline is crazy. It's all just, you know, mad out there. It's, it's a parody of comic books. Mm. It just comes down to how the writers handle that. 
Uh, because if if they're just you know chucking out lazy stuff just to sell action figures, it's going to be crap no matter what they do. Yeah, execution is everything, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Transformers is a very uh, a similar title in terms of the fact that um, Transformers is now huge again. Um, I would actually say possibly as huge as, uh, maybe even bigger than it was in the 80s, because now more adults like Transformers. And the recent incarnation, animated-wise, uh, Prime? Prime, yeah. Is actually really good, especially considering you have both Peter Cullen and Frank Welker in there, and That's you have superb voice actors, and they even have Jeffrey Coombs in there, which is awesome. I'm sure Jeffrey Coombs turned up in uh, the Nickelodeon TMNT, actually. I think he was uh, an evil doctor. Hmm, did he have a green vial by any chance? He might have done. <laughs> He's getting typecast. Ah, Dr. Falco. Yeah, no, I'm right. He was in Monkey Brains. <laughs> By any chance, he didn't involve anything coming back to life from the dead, did it? Uh, no, he was. Uh, uh, he had turned his um, uh, assistant or uh, co- another doctor into a giant mutant monkey or something like that. Yeah, I think this is a trouble sometimes. You give them the mutagen and they do go a little bit crazy. I will mention the fact that I can't stand what they did to Shredder. Although I haven't watched a lot of the 2003. I've seen the odd episode and I've seen Turtles Forever. Oh, you mean the Utron Shredder? Utron. Utron. He's an alien from the planet Utron. Basically, very similar to Krang, in fact. Um, It is a mix of Shredder and Krang. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, again, the Utrons were in the Mirage comic, and that's actually more faithful to the comic. And Krang himself was um, a sort of a derivative of that from the comics. And, and the O3 version is closer to the comics. But again, that doesn't necessarily mean that the Utrons are necessarily better. The comics aren't necessarily better. It was just their interpretation. And I mm. think I'd, I think with, because up until then, Shredder had been his own separate entity he was mm. this particular villain and then they sort of felt when I saw it it's like oh they've sort of mixed Krang and Shred together I'm not kind of sure about that although I'll admit it was kind of funny in Turtles Forever where Utron Shredder kicked the crap out of Shredder that was actually I mean okay right for folks at home who haven't watched this just imagine like a really angry little brain with a tattoo on his eye like controlling a robot Shredder body that's basically what the the Utron alien Shredder was and he went back into feudal Japan and then took on the role of Urokosaki there and then carried on living for hundreds of years and then the whole thing with Hamato Yoshi kicked off and ultimately Shredder's an alien yeah. yeah. Now, if that happened in the Michael Bay film, if we go, Shredder's not an alien! Well, it was in the comics. Well, we didn't know that! <laughs> it was an interesting choice. It's, it's, it's just one of those you go, okay, you, but it just feels like if you don't know the comics, you don't know about the ultra, yeah. you know, that just feels like you're taking Krang and Shredder and mixing them. Also, that does lead to the question, how did Shredder have a daughter? Karai, uh, ooh. Maybe she's <laughs> his adopted daughter? Quite possibly. I, again, not watched a lot of the 2003 version, but... In yeah. 2012, there's the Krang, which are a alien species of brain-like creatures with robot bodies who are very, very similar to the Utroms with kind of a, uh, an inflection of Krang from the 87 cartoon, which kind of fuses the, you know, some of the more popular elements of the cartoon, which everyone remembers, and the comics, which people will be less familiar with, but the fans will like. So it's, it's a nice uh, combination there. And uh, they're all voiced by Nolan North. <laughs> Again, and they have this weird affectation in the way of speaking. They say, 
like they're, they're all this hive mind and they speak to each other like with way too much um, uh, repeating of the same word. You know, Krang would like Krang to give that order again, and then when that order is given, Krang will attack the turtles who are attacking Krang. Give to Krang the power cell that Krang has come to demand that you give to Krang. It's the Krang. In comparison to the uh, eighty-seven show, the the O three cartoon, especially to be uh, for the the first uh, few series, is actually you know it's, it's considerably uh, it's more faithful, it's more action based, it's, it's probably a bit more watchable for adults. But I still find myself getting bored and nodding off. Well done, Leonardo. Teaches pet ninja dropout. <laughs> my sons, my sons. If you are to become true ninja, you must work harder. Your path in life will not be an easy one. The outside world will not be a friendly place for you. You four are different in ways the surface dwellers would never understand. To survive, you must master these skills I teach you. Ninjutsu powers of stealth and secrecy. You must become Kage, shadow warriors. And you must never be discovered by the outside world. Huh? What is that noise? Earthquake! In New York? Possible, but not likely. What are those things? New York City cockroaches? Whatever they are, they picked the wrong party to crash. Then in 2007... Uh, the TMNT film. Now, this is going to be the core of what we talk about because, as far as I'm concerned, this is uh, the 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 best incarnation of Turtles to date. With the uh, 2012 show at the moment coming up as a, a pretty close second for me. I returned from my training. Leo, you came back. Sorry, the reunion isn't under better circumstances. Your absence has been particularly difficult for Raphael. I don't even care about Leo anymore. At least his personality's still intact. This Night Watcher character's come into the neighborhood like some kind of vigilante showboat. But his days are done. Now I know who to thank for the shot in the arm. Crime never took a break. You did. Why couldn't you send him away for training? I told Splinter I'd get this team in shape again. I'm sorry I failed. We got bigger things to worry about tonight than criminals. What? I thought they were history. We cannot return to the surface to fight evil if we continue to fight each other. Don't do this, Raph. I'm done taking orders. Long have we been in hiding? Perhaps too long. What do we do now? We're gonna save New York City. Crap! We got along just fine without you! We are leaders. We strike hard. Defend, protect, fade into the night. A director Kevin Monroe stated in terms of the storyline that ideas were floated around as extreme as the turtles being in space. 
But eventually it just came back to New York City in the theme of a family that had fallen apart. So effectively taking, like I said, this original idea of the turtles as ninjas, you know, uh, in the sewers and taking it forwards a few years. So if, if the turtles that you met in the first 1990 film were 15, then they're what, 17, 18 now. When developing the screenplay, Munro wanted to take on a less lightened tone or a less cowabunga and place an emphasis on dark elements as shown in the original comics to appeal to the mature audience. Uh, I had a very specific tone because mixing that sort of action and comedy is a very specific thing. Most people were just coming and wanting to make it so- make it too funny. I think that version of the movie uh, could... Because remember, of course, they were doing Fast Forward at the time in the TV show, so maybe they were trying to do that for this film. I think that version of the movie could do really well, but we wanted to do something where it sort of pushes the envelope a little bit more and says that animation is more than just comedic animals bumping into each other and farting this is music to my ears by the way uh, Munro said that in design and in the rendering of the animation he, he was after the feel of the comic books and Karai was one of Monroe's favourite characters from the comics and uh, he was the one who really pushed for Karai to appear in the film so um, Neil go for it you see, this is a really good film. It's probably my favorite, like you, it's probably my favorite interpretation, although it does suffer a little bit of confusion with general audiences of yes. not, not quite knowing, because if you read on Wikipedia, it lists it as the fourth film. Yeah. As so it's meant to be a sequel to one, two, and three. Yeah. But also you've got stuff like crying and, and certain things referenced in there are also nods to the, co- the 2003 series as well. Which, ultimately, if you'd just seen the three films, would be completely alien to you. So, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but on that scale, it's... Um, so that tends to confuse a lot of general audiences. And but on I can end, imagine adults coming in, sitting down with their kids and watching this and going, what is going on? I, I sort of... I, I followed it fairly well, just having not seen, at that point, the do 3 series. Mm. But then when Karai turned up, I was a bit like... Okay, now you've lost me. Who's that, and why is she in charge of the foot? Yeah, <laughs> see now, well, well, I um, uh, when I finally saw it in two thousand eight, I hadn't seen the O three series much at all, and I thought it was a continuation of that, and I was supposed to have seen a lot to really get what was going on in the continuity. I thought that at some point in that cartoon, Leo had been sent away, and you know that all of these events that people took, they talked about as though they had happened they, actually happened somewhere. There is an event in the two thousand three where they fight the Shredder and they barely win. Mm. And Leo has sort of a, a crisis of uh, so you know he has a bit of a wobble, and maybe that's where you could take it from in that series. Why but he was where he is? They've um, they, they fought Shredder and, and lost, and they fought Shredder and barely won before. It's, it's a recurring theme. The, the way this deviates, first off, in story is that rather than dealing with Shredder and, and characters that people would recognise from the '87 show, or if they knew anything about Turtles, they made up this whole brand new story about um, Winters and this this mythical army and the 13 monsters and uh, you know this is the the MacGuffin this is the what the turtles are up against and this is by far and away the weakest aspect of the film yeah especially the 13 monster because it finally hit me when watching this today where I'd heard that from before what what was that 13 ghosts of Scooby-Doo <laughs> is that uh, you're going to have to explain that one there was a there was a cartoon series <laughs> called the 13 ghosts of scooby-doo where is it 13 evil ghosties had escaped from this magical box that scooby had accidentally let them out of and he had to go and get them back it's almost the same principle really but yeah. better voice actors I, I can't argue with that 
But yeah, ultimately, it, it, it sort of they don't really focus on it because the focus is really on the whole the family thing. But then, whenever the turtles are you know are in combat, it's to do with this storyline. And, and ultimately, most people would find themselves going, "Who gives a monkeys about all this?" I think yeah, the the one combat scene where you are giving a monkeys is you finally get the showdown. Yeah, yeah. Pretty oh, we'll talk about that in a bit. But but yeah, the, the the beginning is that these thirteen monsters get loosed on the world by some sort of ancient uh, warrior. Now this uh, the the opening originally with uh, the earlier winters. I think it's named Yodel back in the, uh, the like in the ancient times, three thousand years ago. Was actually going to come in the middle of the film. They were going to talk about, you know, the origin of the turtles instead at the beginning. But they thought, no, you know what, we'll put this at the beginning so everyone's on the same page. And so they put it at the beginning, but then everyone was like, okay, I, I get that there's monsters and stuff, but how does this tie in with the turtles? And it never really ties in with the turtles. It's just the monsters it's, of the week. It's something that's happening while they're going through this other stuff that they have to deal yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, kind the, of the, way it's the B story or the background, Guff. Although uh, the, the fight scene to Black Betty is probably one of my favourites. It is good. Ly- Lyra actually appears to have... Well, we only saw it yeah, twice this week, but she appears to have learned the coordination of that. She sort of... She was flicking herself around and then pausing at just the right moments. And also, did you know Cameo by Kevin Smith? It was a Cameo by Kevin Smith. Um, <laughs> just want to get these 13 monsters out of the way. Apparently, it was never stated specifically in the film, but uh, uh, if you listen to the commentary, they're supposed to be like 13 mythical creatures like um, Bigfoot... Bigfoot, Jersey Jersey Devil, Loch Ness Monster, various, like, um, there's a vampire bat thing. Uh, All creatures that have become mythical to mankind, and because they were released 3,000 years ago, that's what they did. But it's it's all just this sort of... What I never really got was, why were they all converging on New York City at once? Why was it so easy to find and catch them? Plot convenience. It's so contrived. It's like the, these, these, these statue monsters go out to find these other monsters and they catch them, like, tear-assing their way around a subway. Uh, you know, uh, well, no humans can see... Like, like, why have they come here? Why, why has no one ever seen these things? So that didn't make any sense and, and, and just seems kind of like lazy writing. It would have been so much easier to... Well, not easier, but it would have been so much simpler to do a story about malevolent statue people who wanted to do something else. The 13 monsters thing doesn't make any sense. This is also the same New York City that doesn't notice a six-foot turtle in bike gear. Yeah. <laughs> also, wh- where did he get the custom helmet from? Uh, he made it. But Raphael doesn't do machines. <laughs> um, pass. <laughs> pass. Where did he get the giant turtle shell backpack thing? I- I'm going to say he made it, but there's never any real uh, expression of that. Four turtles. Four brothers. Genetically reborn in the sewers of New York. Named after the great Renaissance masters. And trained as ninjas. They battled many creatures and foes before defeating their arch enemy, the Shredder. But now a greater evil is poised to destroy their very brotherhood. An evil born 3,000 years ago. It was in that time that a warrior king named Yautel led a brotherhood that fought side by side with one purpose. 
to conquer all the kingdoms of the world. Nothing could stand in their way, as they left a trail of destruction behind them. In the quest, the warrior learned of a constellation known as the Stars of Chicken. Every 3,000 years, the stars would align, opening a portal to a world of unknown power. He became immortal, but at a price. His brotherhood was turned to stone. And upon the portal's opening, 13 monsters were released into our world. Let's talk about animation and... um. Uh, Matt, do you want to speak a bit about the film or like your first impressions of the film first? Because you haven't oh, yeah, seen sure. it, had you? Um, I pretty much discounted it when it when it was released um, as just a, uh, another attempt to reboot the franchise and cash in and make a load of money. If I'm honest, mm. uh, and I never really paid any attention until uh, this this podcast series came up, um, and that is to my cost because it's a really good film. I really, I really enjoyed it an awful lot, a hell of a lot more than I was ever expecting to. Can uh, I interject this? Told yes. you so. <laughs> you did, you did. I didn't wait six weeks, uh, six months to watch this one. Um, so, uh, no, I was, I was, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed this. It was, it was uh, a pleasant surprise. Just, uh, just how much I enjoyed it. It's, it's very good. It's my favourite uh, turtles that I've seen. Certainly, it's. Uh, which isn't all of them, obviously, but yeah, I really, really enjoyed this. If you saw uh, Secret of the Ooze and Turtles 3, it would not change your mind. No. <laughs> it, would, it would simply further cement this one. As, I've uh, seen a long time, I can't remember it, but I've seen the second one, but I never saw the third one. Um, and I've basically blanked the second one from my memory, so that's okay. Third, uh, yeah, second one's better wretched. Yeah, the second one certainly is, yeah. It's, it's terrible. But this is not terrible, it's very good. Very good indeed. Uh, I like the animation style. Um, it's it's stylized enough that the turtles don't stick out against the human characters because uh, they're 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 you know they're stylized in their animation quite sort of sort of Japanese the Western version of, of anime uh, really is is how I kind of how I mentally categorize it. Mm. But anyway, yeah, good film. It's interesting you say that it seemed like a, a cynical attempt to cash in because pretty much every other instance of turtles is a cynical attempt to cash in. This well, one seems that- to be just made by people who bum the turtles and really really mm. love them well i think that's it because basically we'd had i mean we had the cartoon which is obviously purely a, a, an exercise in selling toys yeah uh, it just happened to be awesome when i was a kid um and then you the, had the you know, 03 one was actually uh, exec produced by peter laird and, and uh it seemed like they were, laird was going right i'm gonna catch and troll this one we are making it like my comics and, and <laughs> like, they started out with that remit and it just gradually got away from them Mm. But, but the, the fact that Playmates were still calling the shots on what how they developed the series was uh, indicative of how it was still so closely tied with toys. Yeah, here's a tip: don't let the toy company have that much control. Carry on, Matt. Uh, well, I was just going to say that the the, the live action films were cynical cash-ins. That's purely they were purely there to ring. Every, well, certainly, the second and third ones are there purely to yeah. ring whatever they could out of the franchise and that's basically why I discounted it because uh, or, or largely why I discounted it at the time um, first one thought- seemed just more like desperation to get a film made because like for the 13 million it was just sort of like well, we've got to do something yeah. and it was just it was released so you know independently rather mm. than um, 
Like if it, if it was a totally cynical cash-in, it would have been made by the, the 1990 equivalent of Michael Bay, who would have been what? I mean, what, what were blockbusters like back then? Hit and miss. Big films of 1990, hell. But, but 1990, you were talking there were more the weird little indie emo-y stuff, I think. Yeah. Oh, actually, like, Back to the Future 2 came out in 1990, didn't it? Uh, right, here were the big films of 1990. Ghost, Home Alone, Pretty Woman, Dances with Wolves, Total Recall, Back to the Future Part 3, actually it was 89 was Back to the Future Part 2, Die Hard 2, Die Harder, Presumed Innocent, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, hey, and Kindergarten Cop. It's so different now. It's all it's like not a bad selection of films. <laughs> that's actually not, yes, yeah, it's, it's, that's not a bad selection. There's some quality stuff, but there's, like, Ghost it was the, the highest grossing film of that year. <laughs> <laughs> 505 million that thing made and it's it's oh. a, it's it's the twilight of its day oh, God. it's a terrible disservice I like Ghost <laughs> it's a terrible I don't disservice. hate Ghost but I, I don't ever want to watch it again Pretty Woman at number three a lot of money in the in the pockets of chicks it would appear <laughs> I, actually you know what else I'm looking at the IMDB version number one on there is God, uh, Goodfellas oh yeah yeah Godfather Part Three. That'd be under uh, down to ratings rather than um, uh, yeah cash at the box office. Yeah, yeah, but still, uh, that's a really good. Not just that. Looking at, it, we've got Goodfellas, like you said. Another one to mention. Edward Scissorhands was nineteen ninety. Yeah, Rescuers Down Under was what Disney were offering. This was just before Disney had suddenly managed to claw their way back with Little Mermaid one year later. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I'm trying to so, think who was the Michael. You got me stuck on the Michael Michael Bay of the 1990s. Rewind. Hang on. Rescuers Down Under came after The Little Mermaid. Sorry. Sorry. The next one after that was uh, Beauty and the Beast. Let's look at 2012, shall we, and uh, see what the difference is in highest grossing films. Uh, the Avengers, The Dark Knight Rises, Skyfall, The Hobbit, Ice Age, Continental Drift, Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn Part 2, Amazing Spider-Man, Madagascar 3, Europe's Most Wanted, The Hunger Games, Men in Black 3. So it's massive superhero blockbusters, James Bond, fantasy Lord of the Rings, and non-Disney, like, CG animation, Ice Age, Madagascar, and uh, a third Men in Black film no one really wanted. But wasn't as bad as the second one. Nothing could be. Uh, a dose of uh, <laughs> scabies is better than Men in Black. <laughs> so, but do you see what I mean? Like, like they didn't make big superhero films back in in nineteen. They'd only just made Batman the year before, and the whole world was going, "Whoa! We didn't even know that would make money." <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, that's before the comic, the first comic book movie boom. Yeah, and we were just about to get the crap Bat. Man films like uh, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin. And then around about Batman and Robin time, basically the turtles were dead, Batman was dead, and they needed to go away for several years and come back and be any good at all. But then in 2007, this was such a small release. It was only 34 million. And I think it made something like 90 million, so it, it, it tripled its budget. So it's not like it tanked at all. But no one ever talks about this. And here's the thing. Have a guess what this uh, rating is on Rotten Tomatoes. I want it to be high, so it's going to be dead low, isn't it? 60? 40? It's 34%. What? Definitely better than that. That's that's wrong. Well, that is it, far too low for this. Ultimately, we're in the 34%, obviously, but um, that that is... 
that's really kind of unfair considering the actual, the, 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 the love that's gone into this. That so, I, I can tell that this is just a, uh, like 66% of adults just came in, sat down and went, what is going on? What, I don't care. And understandably so, because it does seem like it's targeted at kids. And, and if you don't care about the characters, then you're probably just going to be confused and annoyed at it. Mm, I'm just looking at, was it 2007? Uh, yeah, 07. I'm just looking at the top ten, and my God, there's some bad stuff in there. According to Wikipedia, the consensus on Rotten Tomatoes is TMNT's art direction is splendid, but the plot is non-existent, and the dialogue lacks the irony and goofy wit of the earlier TMNT movies. Right, when it says movies, surely it means just the first one. No, there is no irony or wit. Movies, plural. That is definitely a plural word there. That's what it says. That's from people who didn't see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. Right. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles got 44%. So even, you know, the the original... uh, and some might say best, uh, only scored 10% higher. Uh, Secret of the Use, 36%, so 2% higher than this, and Turtles 3, 27%. So, but and that's still, still too high. They've still languished in the, like, less than half the people in the audience will like any of these films. Um, oh yeah, so, so top grossing films of 2007, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. One of the worst, most expensive blockbusters ever. Look at what number three is. I would possibly order the Phoenix number two. Awesome Spider-Man three. God. Followed by Shrek the third. Shrek the third. Thank God Shrek four ever after is actually really good. Because yes. otherwise that series would have been doomed. Transformers. God, this is just enough to make you weak, Neil. Ratatouille six. Thank God. Ratatouille I like. Ratatouille is good. I Am Legend. Yes. There's some good bits about I Am Legend. The, the, the CG vampire mummy things. <laughs> Probably not, but... Um, but I do like Will Smith's performance. The Simpsons movie, big letdown. National Treasure Book of Secrets, eh. Is and that the three- first or second one? Second. And then Oof. 300. Um, mm. This is Sparta. <laughs> proving that you can have an R-rated blockbuster and still do gangbusters. Mm. Cost, uh, I think it cost like 30 million and made 456 million. That's not bad. So maybe if you compare TMNT to that, it made cost 34 million, made 90. 65 million apparently, 300. Oh yeah, sorry, yeah, they're absolutely right. 65 million was 300, but it made 456. That's still a lot more than it cost. Yes. And it, it made Zack Snyder a major player in Hollywood. Hmm. Enough to be able to direct Superman. Okay, I'm just looking here. This is. TMNT came out in March. Yeah. In March, we had, and there's some bad stuff here, and there's some good stuff here. <laughs> Mostly bad, unfortunately. We had Black Snake Mona. Black Snake Moan. Moan, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy it, I like hopping up words. Wild Hogs, Dear God, Why oh, oh. Tim <laughs> Allen Act. Zodiac, which I have heard is good, I haven't seen it and want to. It is good, it's quite long-winded, but it's good. <laughs> we had 300, The Ultimate Gift... Dead no. Silence. Never heard of it. I think I love my wife. Never heard of it. Uh, Premonition. Never heard of it. The I Hills Have Eyes. Oh, the remake. Two. The re- the sequel to the remake. Yeah, which is even worse <laughs> than the remake. The Last Mizzy. Mimsy. I actually quite like that. That's a smart kids film. Haven't seen that. It's about a, a rabbit that gets sent from the future to collect data so that humankind can... Evolve. It's it's a... Okay, I want to see that just for that explanation. That sounds kind of interesting. It's a toy rabbit, and it's uh, it's just quite good. Uh, Rain Wilson's in it. Oh, my God. Pride? The rabbit doesn't talk. It's just a soft toy, cuddly rabbit. Uh, and it is uh, ferried around by some kids. I don't know. 
we've got Pride. Yep. Rain Over Me. Yep. Shooter. Oh, God, that Mark Wahlberg thing. Mm. Then it's TMNT. Yeah. Followed by Blades <laughs> of Glory. Uh. The Lookout. Uh-huh. And Meet the Robinsons. I actually like Meet the Robinsons. It's uh, It's got some silliness to it, but uh, I do like it. I think Meet the Robinsons probably... Um, if it was released in the same week as to meet those Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, probably snaffled some of their because um, TMNT lasted for ninety days in cinemas, and probably snaffled some of their audience. Um, but okay, right. Either way, TMNT is a boys' action movie. It caters for ten-year-old boys. Any adults in the audience will be there, f- being forced to watch it with their sons. Very few, like even like I am a nerd, and I didn't go see this thing, and I bloody should have done. <laughs> Did you go see the cinema? Yes, I did. Well done, thank you. You, you <laughs> contributed to it actually being somewhat successful. <laughs> I went with my housemate because we went. Oh, there's a turtles movie. Shall we go? Oh, Wish that's I was bad. Oh, let's go. <laughs> Wish I had because I would have uh, probably enjoyed it. I think it, it, I didn't love it until I'd seen it like three times, and I was like, you know what? This is actually really growing on me. Let's talk about the film itself. Um, if you actually look on, uh, if you actually read up on on how it was produced, it's got a really quite small um, production uh, cast. It's uh, the 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 crew. Uh, it, it, I think it's described by Kevin Monroe as just like a bunch of um, you know grown up kids who played with too many action figures when they were younger, and and that it feels like that. It feels like they've sort of arranged these um, these these turtles um, marionettes and sort of they're making them fight for their own amusement. Uh, you know, to the bewilderment of most adults in the audience, but uh, but they clearly love what the the characters that they're dealing with, and they 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 added loads of little details in there, and they had a Hong Kong animation team that they would communicate with, much in the style of uh, the Last Airbender team, uh, and uh, there was that certain that that kind of symbiotic relationship between um, the the people doing the the the, the writing and the creation. Um, all the ideas, and then the animation team who would come up with ideas of their own. And when they visited the, uh, them in Hong Kong, they were taking everything very, very seriously. And they'd, um, at one point, Kevin Monroe said that he came in and they cleared the floor and they were acting out in slow motion fight sequences um, because they took all of the moves very, very seriously because they, they, they'd grown up uh, you know, reading comics and, and watching um, martial arts movies. So, and it was that point he realised he didn't need to hire uh, a martial arts choreographer because they all knew their stuff. Mm. Yeah, because the, the fight scenes are... Really, they're probably some of the best fight scenes I've seen in any animated film. Yeah, well, yeah, because you, you don't really get this kind of stuff in most animated films because they don't... I mean, Kung Fu Panda, definitely. But... Um, uh, I think Hunk for Panda and its sequel actually outstripped this, but it's really good for something which was um, which is sort of coming out of left field based on you know comic books that most adults wouldn't like. And like I said, it, martial arts isn't usually decent fodder for animated films. Disney have never touched it much in the past. Yeah, it, it, there's a. It can be quite awkward, but the, it feels so fluid mm. in this. Like I said, the, the showdown fight. Is probably the best one of the lot. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know whether that's because if you're into the story, you're you're quite emotionally attached. But there's the fight scene is fantastic. It's got the most going on. But the thing is, it's 
the first time on film that you actually get to see the turtles fight really because before with the the guys in the suits they were doing what they could and they were it was actually surprisingly they were nimble in in these big rubber suits with the animatronic heads but they were still severely restricted by what they could and couldn't do and the um implications that it was too violent but for some reason in a totally cgi world um people can accept much more fast much more fluid and, and much more impactful violence Mm. Although, you know, the, the amount of blades in this film and no one actually gets cut. Well, if, if you actually really are, are looking at what's happening. Like, especially when they're, they're fighting the, the Foot Clan at the end. There's like 250-odd ninjas and they're all attacking them with blades and, and like half the turtles have blades and April has a sword and no one's actually getting cut. <laughs> like, hang on, what's actually happening here? A lot of people being tripped over. It's the kind of the Thundercats effect. Yeah, but... I think yeah, you really couldn't show that in this, in this style. But it, it's turtles. I think you kind of get used to that, don't you? Suspending suspension of disbelief, really. It's it's action that my my daughter can watch without me fearing that uh, she, it's go, it's going to upset her. The animation and the texture and detail in that uh, it oppresses me more and more every time I watch it. I've, I've got I've got it on Blu-ray, so I'm lucky enough to be able to watch this in HD. But the 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 way the skin is done is actually really kind of special. That they. they uh, Monroe said in his commentary that rather than just giving the turtles green skin, they went back to what Renaissance painters did to, to make their uh, their characters that they were drawing luminous. They'd start with a black base and then just layer and layer and layer. So in this, the light goes through their skin and then bounces back off, which is what gives them that slightly luminescent glow. And, you know, April specifically, there's been a lot of work on her and her skin is... It's actually not dissimilar to Tangled, which cost Disney something like $200 million. So for the fact that they managed to get close on $34 million, is nothing short of astonishing. It is. But there are some issues with the animation. There's a couple of bits I noticed that did look substandard compared to the rest of it. There was one bit, the, the plane that Leo stows away on. Mm-hmm. That bit, I just note that kind of stood out to me as, as slightly shonky animation. Really? Uh, there was just a couple of spots that I noticed. I'm watching it on DVD. Maybe it's different than the Blu-ray transfer. I'm not sure. I was staring I, at Leo on the wheel at the time. Is it the plane itself? Hmm. kind of ropey. It's the plane itself. Oh, right. It's just literally when you first see the plane, it, it, it just looks a little bit... Uh, the resolution's just... I guess it just isn't quite... Or it stood out to me as not quite as good hmm. as the rest of the animation. And there were a couple of spots that I noticed there, but literally you know, a few seconds worth during the entire film, and they, they stood out. Yeah, because the rest of the film is, is the animation is very good. Mm. Uh, just to update, Tangle cost two hundred and sixty million. Uh, but just to go back to the thing about skin, actually, they didn't have to do that at all. Yeah. What? Why would they have? Why did it, no one would have said? And you must make sure that the skin actually, ref, you know, reflects light back. They could just have gone skin <laughs> color and pressed a button. So, I mean, they, that, that is extra detail and work they didn't have to do. And for some reason, it, it just seemed to have been ignored by people actually watching the film. And just like, ah, oh, it's just turtles kicking, kicking ass. Mm. I mean, if you look at actually the turtle skin, all of their complexions are different. Leo has more frowny lines on him. Raph has uh, sort of more lines around his mouth where he's been gritting his teeth more. And a slightly different shaped head, which sort of is more conducive to him looking more aggressive. Uh, Mikey has freckles and these little smile lines around his eyes. Well, there are there are each turtle is different. I mean, you look at um, Donatello's got a flatter head. I mean, it's not yeah. not particularly obvious. Leo's got a, a more triangular head, um, and 
I mean, Mikey's got different colour eyes and a different shaped mask to make him look less frowny as well. Uh, and they're all subtly different, and I thought that was uh, a nice touch. If you look at uh, the, um, the, the the detail on Casey's gloves at the end when he's turning over his new metal mask in his hand, it's just it's incredibly like there's like that little tiny wearing around the actual uh, outside of the, the gauntlet. So it's it, this is this is one for animators to sit and watch and, and, and pause and stare at because there's so many little things in there that just get missed by regular people. Um, there's a thing about the eyes, which I'd never noticed until I was watching um, uh, the 2012 Nickelodeon version. Classically, the turtles in the comics have no eyes. They have those sort of badass ninja eyes with no pupils. Um, and, and so they got that kind of Wolverine superhero effect. But in this, same as the Nickelodeon cartoon and the 87 cartoon, they've got big expressive pupils in their eyes, which allows you to really emote with them as, as characters. But when they go into ninja mode, very briefly, usually when they're just jumping around the rooftops, those pupils disappear. So they're just like totally focused and they've gone into sort of disappearing into the shadows, which is the best way of doing it, because that way you can merge the comic cool with expressive character models. Mm. When they need to do one thing and then when they need to do the other, that way you can cater to both audiences and cater to both masters. And I'm so glad they do the same thing in the Nickelodeon show. Big eyes, and then when they go into the darkness, just like little white well, yeah, yeah, badass You eyes. get an example of that right at the front with Leo in mm. the jungle, which yeah. is... Yeah. Which is a fantastically gorgeous scene. Yeah, it's lush. They, they created a new tree physics for that. And there's even a bit that so reminded me of Swamp thinking that right at the end when the little kid sees him. But Oh, he's up in the tree and he's sort of wearing a poncho. Hmm. Mm. But it's, it's very cool. I, I do like that idea. It's like, you know, they have turtles being normal, then it's all business, ninja mode, time to fight, kick some ass. Yeah. Um, for, for you know, fans of uh, voiceover uh, artist John DiMaggio is playing the uh, the, the evil colonel that uh, Leo deposes. So we should talk about the voice cast because they did an interesting thing with the, the setup for this. Mm. As all the turtles are veteran voice actors, yeah. including the fact that Raph is Nolan North. Mm-hmm. Yet the I don't want to say the minor characters, but the side characters like April, Casey Jones, Winters are all voiced by. Name actors. You've got Sarah Michelle Gellar. You've got Captain America. <laughs> yeah, Chris Evans playing Casey Jones. And you've got uh, obviously Captain Picard as uh, yeah. Uh, Patrick Stewart's playing Max Winters. Lawrence Fishburne doing the uh, narration at the beginning. Yeah. Four turtles. That's, you know, if you can't get Morgan Freeman, get Lawrence Fishburne. Well, Morgan Freeman's <laughs> too relaxed. He yes. goes four turtles. They have protected New York for many, many years, and I'm <laughs> sitting in an armchair right now, drinking a cup of Bovril. <laughs> no, no, you want more Matrix. Bovril, really? <laughs> <laughs> I like Bovril. It's the <laughs> finest beef drink around. <laughs> now that's a time. gallery? Um, yeah, so yeah, Lawrence Fishburne is uh, the narrator. He's only in it for like a little tiny bit, but uh, it's, it's just sort of to, to set the scene. And it, yeah, he's in total Matrix mode. Props to uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar for, for playing April O'Neil. She didn't just play her as Buffy. Uh, it's, it's not a massively uh, demanding role for her, but I've never liked April more than uh, when I've seen her here. Although I will admit they did sort of neuter Casey a fair bit. A bit. He seems like a bit of a doofus and not someone who, you know, would terrify criminals. Although the, I think a highlight with Casey is his bonding with Raph. Mm. Those two just come off as like pretty much best friends. Yeah. 
which, which I do like. Which plays on the uh, relationship uh, established in the first film. There's, uh, there's little bits where uh, I think they actually remove a line where he said um, something about a penalty for rough housing, uh, which is like quoting the original fight. Two minutes part. for high stick. No, that's it, two minutes for high sticking, that's the one. Um, and yeah, you know, Casey comes up with a bit of a doofus. Patrick Stewart as, as Winters... I think never really sells it as this villainous villain. So when at the end it turns out he's not villainous at all, it's it's kind of like, oh, okay. There didn't seem to be that much of a sense of threat, though. Because ultimately mm. that's supposed to come from the statues. But uh, right, Kevin Michael Richardson plays uh, General Aguila, no relation to General Aguila. Um, but <laughs> we think anyway. We don't. Well, I asked him on Twitter and he said, who? So he's a fan of TMNT. Um, but, but yeah, he, he and his stone brothers are supposed to be sort of the, the, the big bads in this, but ultimately they come off like henchmen. Yeah, that, again, that's sort of the whole, I don't want to call it the main plot, the, the other plot, the B plot, yeah. isn't very strong, because I always see the strong the plot of this is the whole family storyline that cracks off. Yeah. Um, interestingly, Richardson went on to, he is now playing the Shredder in the, two, in the Nickelodeon show. So it's like he's, uh, they, like, they drew a direct parallel in the film by you know, lingering on his hand, which has got two long ass blades on them. And, uh, who else have we got? Oh yeah, as you mentioned before, Kevin Smith is playing the, uh, diner cook. General Gato, one of the other statue guys, I think he's the sort of the, the, the feral cat-like ones, played by Fred Tattershaw, who is the Hulk. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Karai, Shredder's daughter, the uh, leader of the Foot Clan, played by uh, Zhang Ziyi from uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Hero, and House of Flying Daggers. Hmm. English may not be her first language, but she has a lovely uh, uh, kind of, what would be the best word? Uh, smooth but dangerous sounding voice in this. Yes. The yeah, I agree that. It's not without honor. Soon, we will have further business together. That involves familiar faces from your past. And then she does a lot of awesome hand signals, which are like sort of fist and then hand and then point. And it's like, it, that's very kind of Jack Gennady Tartakovsky, uh, Clone Wars type stuff going on there. And of course, how could we forget as Master Splinter? Oh, yes. The great Marco. Now, I think this is probably what clinched it for me. Um, when... I heard Marco talking in this. This is prior to um, watching and falling in love with Avatar, but after Samurai Jack. I thought, oh, wow, that's, that's Marco. That's him. And then I found that he had died. And then there's this, there's many times in the film where Splinter silently shows concern on his face for his sons, and it plays this wonderful Splinter theme. Um, and I just thought, oh, God, I care about Splinter so much. And knowing that Marco had died almost immediately uh, uh, after being announced that he was part of the film um, just just makes it so sad and uh, Greg Baldwin who uh, did many of his lines in the uh, third season of uh, The Last Airbender actually came in and filled in for some of his lines in this film because there were there were many that were lines that were left unsaid which leaves you sort of kind of wondering hang on a second which bits Marco which bits Greg until mm. so you eventually just kind of realise you know what it doesn't matter Greg is doing Marco so well he is sort of fulfilling the spirit of it that they both combine into this one Splinter character uh, and that's who should be playing Splinter that is mm. to me that is Splinter yeah. is Marco doing that voice and it's it's so wonderful Leonardo I am most disappointed in you you are the eldest of your brothers I was counting on you to bring order to the chaos of this family 
This is why I have forbidden any surface activity. We cannot return to the surface to fight evil if we continue to fight each other. But Master Splinter, how can I be expected to there do so? Are no excuses when you are the leader, my student. We have to go out and find who's responsible for this. There ain't no other solution. <laughs> Save the brute vigilante junk for that night watchman. Uh, night watcher. Yeah, whatever. I'm going out. I feel like if Marco had lived, he'd be voicing uh, Splinter in the uh, the Nickelodeon show. Um, it's almost a, sh a shame because um, Andrea Romano is doing the voice casting, so it's like she would have at least mentioned it. It's almost a shame they can't get Bre Greg Baldwin in there doing the Marco-style voice to effectively perform as him, but it would almost seem like cashing in. Hmm. It's a little disrespectful. It, yeah, I can agree with that. Oh, I don't know, because, I mean, um, the guy who plays uh, the voice, uh, James Arnold Taylor, who uh, plays Leonardo in this film, um, plays Obi-Wan in Clone Wars, and uh, also does this sort of the British announcer voice in a sort of an Ian McKellen style. But Ian McKellen's not dead so, yet. For God's sake, don't let this one date like the Star Wars show. <laughs> um, so it's, uh, I don't know. There's a whole, there's an issue of disrespect and I think Hoonley actually does a fantastic job on what they're doing for Splinter, but I just, I have pangs sometimes when I think it could be Marco. Yeah. Um, another thing about their eyes, they move when they're just being spoken to. They, they don't just sit in the turtles' heads like dead orbs. They sort of, they, they, they scan left and right and they sort of, um, it, not like big sort of movements uh, across, but just to show you that they're alive and they're thinking, uh, which is a lovely touch and happens in some of the absolute best of um, CG animated films. And uh, that, they've actually, again, done that in the uh, Nickelodeon show. It's like they've, they've used this as a, um, a, a what we could be doing with our show. The animation seems a lot less lush in the Nickelodeon show, but they've definitely taken their cues from this. Yeah, it's a mark of good animation when they, they do things to make the characters feel alive. Mm. Story, uh, if, uh, as, as a bullet point, we've already said, is total cuff. It's, it's something about monsters. That's all you really need to know. There's fighting in there and there's stuff about monsters. Um, yeah. The family aspects of it are the, the, the key parts that you're supposed to, to care about. Um, Leo has left for almost a year, maybe longer, mm. on, on this round-the-world training trip to become a better leader which has left his brothers in disarray. And it almost seems like Splinter's really regretting sending him away in the first place because their family has been pulled apart. And they're now at a conjuncture where they have to choose to carry on together as brothers or to not so much go their separate ways, but just sort of to fade away. And it's, there's a real sense of uh, urgency about this film in a way that, you know, all the world might be destroyed by monsters never comes across as, this, as, as that sense of, um, you know, something has to be done. You sort of get a feeling, especially when it's setting up what's happened to the three brothers who, you know, are left behind. You know, like, I think it's like Mikey, when he, he flicks the news on, you can just see his excitement hearing about the vigilante that's going around. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I remember when we used to do that. I remember how that used to feel. You can see him yearning for it. Yeah. Mikey's probably the most lovable he's ever been in this. He comes off as, he's a, he's annoying in the 87 show. He's annoying in the 03 show. He's kind of annoying in the 12 show. Uh, he's mostly annoying in all the movies. Uh, but this one, he's actually quite lovable. Yeah, he, he's slightly doofusy. Yeah. Dude. He's hyperactive and childlike. He's, ve he's very athletic and, and clearly a, 
brings a lot of enthusiasm to the fights as well. Along with his own unique style sometimes. Indeed. Uh, and Donnie, uh, the the idea of, of, of Donnie being brought back to being a, a geek is this is the first for the um, the movies because they didn't really focus on this uh, in the, uh, the the live action ones. But uh, he he starts off on a tech support line, which <laughs> from the sounds of it, you know, he's dealing with really unreasonable, irrational, and at t- sometimes perverted people who've called the wrong line. Sir, 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 did you turn the computer on? Have you plugged it in? Yeah, that would help. No, I'm not playing hard to get. I'm telling you, sir, it's not that kind of phone line. Uh, I'm not your enemy. I'm just Donnie, your friendly IT tech support, here to help you 24 hours a day, sir. Yeah, I'm sorry, ma'am. But he comes off as a little bit pessimistic and a little bit kind of, you know, uh, we, you know we've got to make do with what we've got here. You know, this is... I think it's sort of their way of dealing with what's happened to them. It, it seems like it comes across as they've all retreated into certain aspects of their... Their personality. Mikey's become the entertainer. Donnie's mm. become the tech guy, and Ras sort of just given into his anger almost, and yeah. become the vigilante. There's more. There's more characterization to to Mikey and Donnie in, in this than there was in in the 1990 movie. Mm. But they're still. It's still all about uh, Leo and Raph. They're not. They're not really that individual. They're, when when Leo comes back, they're both larking around as a double act again, and yeah. it was a kind of a shame because there was a, there were flashes of them both being individual characters, and then they kind of didn't really deliver on that for me. I, I'd have kind of liked to have seen a bit more of those two, but as, as individuals, it's but, almost I, like I there guess they haven't got time. There Maybe wasn't room. I, I would possibly yeah. have just enjoyed no monsters at all, and a lot more focus on Donnie and Mikey. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just if the whole thing had been a family drama the whole way through with some ninja fights with the foot, that would have been great. Mm. Yeah, I, I get the monsters are a contrivance and, and they needed something to be a kind of cool um, enemy, I suppose. But yeah, it, I'd, a needed... bit less enemies and a bit more turtles would have been would have been better. I think. Yeah, yeah I think they they needed some sort of enemy that they hadn't faced before that that could seem like a legitimate threat to bring those two together. Fail. Together. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> well, the trouble is, you couldn't go with the foot because the, the literally in the opening they say, "Oh yeah, we beat them." Did we yeah. beat these guys? Yeah, I, I don't know. For the foot led by Karai seemed like they'd be much more formidable than the, than by Shredder. But I would have preferred to see Karai as the main villain than uh, than the Winters. Who, you know. The trouble is, Karai sort of that kind of character that towards the turtle, she's not quite a villain. Sometimes she helps them. Sometimes. Mm. She- is sort of that grudging respect to them. Which is more of an interesting antagonist, surely. Yeah, yeah just certainly. The, oh, ha, 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 ha. Tonight I dine on turtle soup. Yeah, he, he literally said that at one point. Winters, to that end, does come off as a much more um, compassionate kind of guy and not a villain at all, ultimately, which is, you know, good. But in the end, there's no sense of uh, threat either. So it's like they go too far in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not... I'm not that cl- at all clear on the the various um, continuities is is this a continuity in which Shredder is no longer around? Um, he was apparently well. It's, it's the, in secret. Or is, of, is that not clear? I mean, no, no. It's in secret of the use. He dies. He becomes Cyber Shredder, and then he knocks down a pier. We mentioned it last week, and then hmm. some planks. And this is this hit. is the same continuity as that. Is it? Apparently is that so. <laughs> and <laughs> not. And yes, yeah. because Karai's in there, and they know her. So yeah, because when what yeah. they could have done possibly if if yeah, if continuity wasn't an issue. They could have had instead of Winters, they could have had Shredder mm. 
as a businessman who is, you know, in Shredder in Secret, I guess they could have done that, you know, a Japanese, yeah. a Japanese business, which would have perhaps been a better, a better way of doing things if they weren't worrying about any kind of continuity. But yeah. if he's dead, he's dead, I guess. Ultimately, it's almost, almost anything would have been better than this particular story, which is so disposable. Mm. It sounds like we're doing it as a service. We're not, folks. He's watching. It's really, really good. It, it's, it's just a, that bit. Forget that bit. It's, it's not bad. It's, it's just. Uh, the, I like the end of it. I mean, the 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 finale, the the final big fight. I thought worked well. It just the the lead up to it was a little bit mm. a bit flat. Really, it was. They it was don't really give much mucking around time and, and credence to really say, "Oh, this is a real threat to the world, and we've got to yeah. do this." Because it's almost like they're going, "Oh, well, you know, it's just the monster of the week," you mm. know. Like, like, like it's a TV show and, and this is just the first arc of uh, villains they got to beat before the, the next ones come on, the real ones, for the season finale. The big, mm. huge clanging, yeah. please give us a sequel line. They did, yeah, so, you know, there might be a return of Shredder. Mm. Yeah. Places <laughs> from your past. Gonna go ahead and say that the, uh, the live action film will probably have Shredder. And will be nothing to do with the, this continuity and we'll just reboot the whole thing. Well, which they probably did- need to. You know. That leak script said it uh, it was a general, and I think it was like his nickname was Shredder or something like oh, that. Oh God, that script sounded so bad. I, I I read through the synopsis of it; it was just utter rubbish. Uh, yeah. Search for it online if you want to have both a laugh and a cry, folks. It's 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 Bay Turtles. Bayformers works. Bay Turtles doesn't. No. Does but, it work though? Does Bayformers work? Oh, yeah, I think if you say Bay Formers, you, oh, you mean the actual one. just the phrase? Yes, yeah, the phrase. <laughs> I'm gonna have Bay Turtle in the half shell. <laughs> um, uh, another thing about Mikey's uh, performing is he, he being the the party dude that he is. He's um, Cowabunga Carl. Uh, he, he's going to parties <laughs> just so he can kind of be himself and yet not himself. And gets the crap kicked out of him by kids wielding Nerf ninja weapons. It's kind of like this 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 effigy of what he used to do. Yeah, uh, it's, it's demeaning, but at the same time, uh, he could stop doing it at any point. Yeah, am I the only one that's slightly sad that that's as close as we get to the turtle wagon? No, you know, it's a it's a little allusion to it, but I'm not sure. They necessarily needed to have a turtle wagon in in, every, in this and every other version of them. Uh, yeah, I mean, they could have done it perhaps, but it wouldn't have been the same turtle wagon if they'd done the actual turtle wagon. Yeah, it I also think kind of rubbish. I think this also, is probably the best way of doing it. Also, I think because each incarnation that's had the turtle wagon has it's been different, so it yeah. would tie it would tie it too too much to one or the other continuity. I'm oh, assuming you mean the party wagon. Anyway, um. <laughs> also, I thought it was this was a, a, a much better way of of getting Cowabunga in there because that that phrase has become a little bit yeah. overly used in, in uh, over time, and, and the fact that it's Cowabunga Carl, it's in there, but it's not it's not someone actually saying it, and I thought that was nice. Yeah, nice to see it, but thank you. Also, nice not to hear it. I have always liked Cowabunga. Um, there's, a, there's a lovely little deleted scene actually where um, Mikey brings back um, well Mikey comes back in after doing his uh, thing and Donnie takes all of his money off him and then gives him uh, a single note back and Mikey's really happy with that and then Splinter turns up sternly and says you know did you bring it and Mikey pulls out from behind his back a carefully wrapped in tinfoil piece of birthday cake well sensei oh here you go, Master Splinter. Oh, 
buttercream frosting. Ah, uh, no cake. Do you remember your last cholesterol tests? But, but, I... Donatello, I'm your master. Nice try, Sensei. You can still be my master, but with low cholesterol. This one's got a flower. <laughs> you have done well, my son. They should have left that in. Any extra um, characterization of Splinter, I could probably have done without an entire monster fight to have that instead. Well, they, they could have they could have got rid of or at least cut down the the uh, sewer skateboarding scene, mm. which was it was fine, but I don't think it needed to be that long. They could have fit some other bits and bobs. As you say, that scene could have gone in there, or a I bit more characterization there, for someone, but. That's sort of in there to keep pace levels up slightly, isn't it? It also well, that was the credit. That was the, the intro credits, basically, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. It gives a sense of a wider world as well. That you feel like it's a bigger environment, and it sells the sewers in a way that the live-action films couldn't, because they weren't allowed access to a giant yeah. sewer system. Yeah, but I, I just thought it was a little bit. I mean, the, the film itself isn't, uh, you know, it's, it's not an accurate representation of the real world, but broadly speaking, uh, everything obeys the laws of physics, <laughs> except Mikey. <laughs> Except Mikey when he's skateboarding, in which case apparently he can fly. And I, I kind of thought that they could have done that differently. But He's a ninja skateboarder. Yeah. That's how he does it. Uh, they, they combine various elements of, uh, uh, of uh, skateboarding history there. At some point he's doing Tony Hawk-style tricks. some point he's doing Dogtown and Z-Boys-style surfing. Um, I have no issue with the skateboarding, but I can see how someone whose uh, adherence to the laws of physics allows them to watch a film about Ninja Turtles and go, skateboarding wasn't realistic. <laughs> I don't have an issue with the scene, but the, I think they there's things like the 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 scene with that you just mentioned with the cake. I think that would have been better than having half of that that skateboarding scene, and I think yeah. they could have cut it down half the length um, and and put other stuff in because there must have been tons of stuff they cut, and and I don't know. I just thought it was overly long. But in uh, betraying the laws of physics, there's that bit where Raf where, where the the Bigfoot monster falls through the floor of a building site, and then the three turtles come, back, you know, rattling down. Oh no, it rolls over the edge, and then they fall down, and Raf goes, oh god, and then jumps. And somehow lands before them, like a second or so before them, because he like streamlines himself. <laughs> I didn't oh, notice that talking. one. I did not notice that one. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, yeah, I'm not. I'm not a, like a physics Nazi or anything. By the way, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to yeah, get my red pen out and give minus marks every time they do something impossible. But do better <laughs> with physics, turtles. Okay. Um, the Boyle's law. Come on, damn you. Yeah. So. <laughs> But Donnie and Mikey are there, and they're, they're, they're very much... I think they're even referred to as the B-team in the uh, Nickelodeon show. <laughs> um, and, then, and then you've got Leo and Raph, and, and Leo in this is far more serious than uh, than he's ever in the 87 show, uh, and um, even more so than he, he was in the previous films, where he still, you know, would would say, well, this is like meditating. Um, actually, no, I don't think that was him. He was still, like, dancing to uh, tequila. I think he's probably about as serious as he was in the 03 TV series. But uh, he's played by James Arnold Taylor, and he seems like he's trying to be a consummate professional all the time, and he's like trying to uh, go to the point where he's trying to control his brothers. And specifically with Raph, it's like, you know, you will fall into line. Um, and ultimately, it's, it's Cyclops and Wolverine. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's a good comparison, actually. Mm. Uh, which, you know, puts him up against uh, the great 
Nolan North as Raph, who uh, had always been um, my on-again, off-again favourite turtle, but cemented himself in this one as uh, my fave. Although, interestingly, in the new series, Donnie is my favourite. Because he's... The best. The best. <laughs> Most complex. Was... He has a, a, a really difficult relationship with anger. It's almost like he's... All of the other turtles, specifically Mikey and Donnie, allow the things that they go through to just sort of wash over them. But Raph sort of takes them all on board and, like, takes extra pressure on behalf of his brothers to be more, you know, uh, more anxiety-ridden over what they are and aren't doing. It's almost that he, he recognises the the, so the the anger in himself and, and knows that if things had been different, he could have been just a, a common criminal like the people that he's he's trying to stop. Hmm. Uh, I think that, you know, that's the ways he's inside him that, that, make, that drives him to go out as Night Watcher and, and keep fighting crime, even though everyone else has basically given up. Mm. And it's actually a really fantastic performance from North. He actually characterises uh, Raph in a way that no other turtle has ever been characterised in this point. He's like, oh, you think you're so special, don't you? And he, he really sort of, like, throws himself into the role and, and so um, that performance comes through when he's sort of like grimacing and sort of snarling at Leo later on uh, specifically it's like he's got all this pent up aggression just bottling there I mean people it's, it's kind of a, a, a joke now that Nolan North is in everything of course it's Nolan North he's in everything but it's stuff like this that makes you realise why he's in everything because he's really really good at what he does yeah. he's incredible well, it's either Nolan North or Steve Bloom. Yeah, Steve. Well, you, well, you take you yes. take Raphael in this, and you take uh, pick a character at random, Nathan Drake. They don't sound the same. It's no. like you know, different people, completely different characters. Uh, he's the guy's a demon. He's just incredible at what he does. Sometimes he gets given lazy direction clearly by his uh, game voice directors, and they go, oh, "Just you know, just sound like you'd normally sound to Nathan Drake." <laughs> and so like he comes on Dark Void and basically is Nathan Drake but you know when he's given a decent character and a decent voice director he's absolutely capable of being someone completely different you wouldn't recognise him as the Krang in uh, the, uh, the 12 version no I didn't I didn't know it was him until you said uh, Sean Astin plays uh, Raph in 2012 which is he does a really uh, probably the second best version of Raph around uh, and that's actually up against the, um, the the really quite impressive version in the 1990 film. Josh Pays plays him in the 1990 film and does a you know, really superb job, especially since he's acting through prosthetics and uh, a giant rubber suit. Ultimately, Sean Astin manages to make him funny and angry at the same time, which is a really difficult balance uh, because they've made him less aggressive than they have uh, the, the Nolan North one, uh, but he's still suffering in a way that um, Splinter becomes concerned about. Um, there's he has a pet turtle in the Nickelodeon series named Spike that he uh, allows allows him to sort of kind of like Yorick uh, uh, with uh, ampersand, you know, direct some of himself into another person that he can nurture or into another mm. creature that he can nurture. And so, you know, he converses with this uh, mute, just regular turtle Spike when he can't have conversations with his brothers, which is a nice touch. So Leonardo and Raph clash repeatedly throughout the uh, film uh, to begin with. There's even actually more that was cut out of the, um, the the final film just to make way for more monster stuff. When they play, um, uh, they're sort of jumping over rooftops when they first get all back together. There was supposed to be a game of ninja tag where they get into two teams, Mikey and Donnie at the B team, um, 
and Leo and Raph. And they're supposed to cooperate and get both of them across to a, a finish line, you know, over the rooftops doing parkour. Uh, but because Leo and Raph don't work together and in fact end up throwing each other against walls to hurt each other, Donnie and Mikey beat them easily, despite being less skilled. Uh, so it's, it's a great sort of way of setting up that this conflict between them is actually preventing the group from fighting together as a unit. Again, could have done with that over some of the monster things. Yeah. yeah. See, it, it, they do seem to have sacrificed some really good character stuff, unfortunately, which is just, it's just a shame because this film's still good. It just could have been a lot better. Mm. Oh, and Raph as the Night Watcher reminds me a little bit of Spidey in the black costume. Yeah. Like, he's allowed to let out his really aggressive hunter side at that point, and because he's got anonymity and doesn't have any um, uh, accountability and doesn't have to work with anyone else, he's, you know, he's lone wolfing it, and, and so he, uh, you know, is, is more... He's basically Casey Jones. Yeah. In the early, earlier yeah. films, let's be honest. He's doing exactly the same thing in exactly the same way. Just going around thumping thieves and doing the yeah. police's job for them. You know, it's, it's pure blunt stick tactics. It's just about... A, a, just, Pure application of force. There's no subtlety whatsoever. Oh, I swear to God that the uh, one of the hoods that comes out of the uh, shop goes, "Hey, I got a toaster." That was Nolan North as well. Well, I think isn't the guy who who first speaks out of that scene? He was the guy, the second voice of Shredder, wasn't it? As in Sh- the the Utron Shredder. No, because uh, um, Uncle oh, Phil it, was, was voice yes. all of Phil. Uh, the from the AE Seven series, there was a second uh, voice actor. Hmm. Okay, uh, maybe. I can't remember, so don't take that as gospel. I did recognise Billy West, uh, aka <laughs> Fry uh, from Futurama, and uh, Zach Brannigan, and Stimpy uh, is the newscaster. Yes. <laughs> they may have guns, but not like these guns. Um, so yeah, the whole Leo and Raph thing comes to a head when Leo uh, tells the Night Watcher after he's tracked him down you can't go out into the night and be a vigilante and just do the police's job for them and catch criminals and blah, 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 because it's that's not the way it's done, which is a, a, a very similar to the way Batman corners vigilantes in Gotham and says, I will have no vigilantes in my city. Wait, hang on a second. Double standards much? Yes, yeah. I know. Yeah, it's kind of like the turtles want to be the only people controlling the streets, but obviously they can't cope with absolutely everything at all. So ultimately, in Raph's mind, Leo is being incredibly unreasonable, uh, and and it's the, it's the kind of like you know super fighting for control that he has just been pushing and pushing and pushing away from uh, for all these years. And so it's like everything that annoyed him about Leo before he went has been building up all the time while he's been away, and Leo and him have not been able to sort this out, and they've not had any proper altercation really just you know some headbutting um while he's been back so all of this stuff has built up allowing it to turn into a proper confrontation before leo even knows he's fighting raf yeah he could have just walked away and said i'm not doing this raf i'm going but he allows raf to get to him and he he tries to effectively knock him into line and, and assert his authority as the leader that we're going into way more detail about this fight than there probably needs to be, but ultimately it's the centerpiece of the film, and it's it's also for me the centerpiece of the entire uh, franchise because when it comes down to when Leo and Raph are uh, uh, characterized really well, they don't get on, and there is going to be this friction, and this was kind of the culmination of that. And when they 
when Leo realizes that he is now up against Raph, they they carry on into it, and it becomes apparent that Leo is actually almost as angry as Raph anyway, out of his inability to keep the team together. Hmm. Yeah. And then when they they fight them each other to a standstill, and eventually Raph wins, breaks Leo's swords, and knocks him down. It becomes apparent that Raph thought he was going to lose that fight. He thought that Leo was going to beat him into shape and that uh, ultimately he'd say, yeah, yeah, you're the big leader. Okay, I'll come home. And then he'd go and sulk about it and then eventually come home. But when he beats the the guy who's supposed to be the the most skillful, the most dedicated and the protector of the group, he realizes he, he doesn't have anyone to look up to anymore. And that completely freaks him out. Yeah. He's he's so used to being that second in com- sort of second in command, and yeah. always angry, and all of a sudden it, it, he's on top, and he just doesn't know what to do with it. It seems almost like he's never beaten Leo before, and you know certainly not when it was actually proper, uh, you know. And if he had, it would have been with Splinter around, and he would never have gotten. They would never have gotten that angry. And also, the breaking of his brother's sword is very symbolic too. Yeah, because yeah. Leo's the the oldest, isn't he? Yeah, uh, I always. Before I found that out, I always thought that Raphael was the oldest, mm. and Leo was the second oldest, uh, which is why Raphael had that slightly uh, sort of that streak of not really not really giving a shit. To be honest, he was, he was always sort of given a bit a slightly easier ride because he was the older brother, and Leo had to work that bit harder, which is why he was the leader. Which Raphael would therefore see as naturally his position being the oldest. I was not the way it is around, but in my mind, that's kind of how it how it is, which is a fairly interesting. Uh, it's something I've seen in in in, in my family, <laughs> uh, in my my uh, my dad and his brothers, uh, is the way it worked, and uh, that's how I always saw it. But I don't know. Who knows? Ultimately, it's possible that people who have got extended families will probably have this film resonate with them more than, say, mm. only children. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Because there's that sense of, you know, ultimately, if you fight with your friends, you can at least go back to your own separate houses and have a breather. If you're under the same roof as people that you're <clears throat> in friction with and you're powerless to do anything about it because you're kids, there's that sense of having to just make do and having to make up about it, especially if you're being forced to by your sensei and father. So two alpha males trapped in the same scenario, especially as they get older and older and more claustrophobic with their situation they're going to want to strike out and this ultimately was the point where they, the, the brothers were going to make or break as I said earlier and it, it would come in the form of Raph going off on his own really because Leo was never going to leave the, the, the other two uh, and Mikey and Donnie were never going to leave it's, it all hangs on Raph and when it comes down to it, in the comics, there have been uh, like developments along these lines where, as I said before, in the third volume of it, um, written by uh, Eric Larson, uh, Raph ended up as the Shredder. So, you know, so th- want to find out and read that. It might not be good. I can't say anything uh, specifically about the quality, but uh, but yeah, this this sort of thing does uh, does happen. So it's that sense of familial disharmony is definitely here in this film. You are so smug. You know that. You think the world revolves around you, don't you? That we couldn't possibly survive without the mighty and powerful Leonardo to guide us to our problems, huh? Well, I got a newsflash for you. We got along just fine without you. Oh, and this qualifies as just fine? Dressing up like it's Halloween every night? Risking the safety of our family? I mean, come on, what were you thinking? Don't push it, Leo. You can't leave home and come back expecting us to fall in line again like your little soldiers. Hey, I was training. Training to be a better leader for you. 
Why do you hate me for that? And whoever said I wanted to be led? I'm better off calling my own shots now. Get used to it. You aren't ready. You're impatient and hot-tempered, and more importantly, I'm better than you. <laughs> oh, you know something, big brother? I'd have to disagree with you on that one. Don't do this, Raph. I'm done taking orders. And I think that, that pretty much wraps it up. At the end, there's a big fight. They stop the monsters, they stop the evil statues, and Raph effectively leads his brothers with Splinter to rescue Leo, because now they have to fight without him, because he gets kidnapped by these monster thingies, and uh, I don't know, some plot-related guff. I've, I've seen this film, like, seven times now, and I still don't get what the hell's happening with those monsters. <laughs> Winters is returning to the monster so he can become mortal and die. Yeah, and then he does, and it's actually kind of beautiful, and then Mikey spoils it with his silliness. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> also, Raph gets his ass kicked again. Oh, yeah, that's that's yeah. a bit earlier in the film. That's when they get General Gato comes running after them, and there's that. It's kind of like a monster movie. There's this, um, this this stone monster thing is bursting to try and get in, and Casey's like got his hat back up against the door to try and keep him out, and Raph's fallen asleep. Yes. Yeah. There's a whole thing about Raph being almost narcoleptic because he spends all of his nights fighting crime and he doesn't really get much chance to sleep during the day, possibly because Mikey's always making too much of a racket. <laughs> I understand. Matt, have you ever worked nights? Not not for any length of time, but I have worked nights. Yeah. It's horrible. The oh, it's world awful. is not attuned to people who work nights. If you work nights and then try to go to sleep and it's a busy street outside your window, people will come and go and there'll be yattering and cars and honking horns. And I used to live in a, a street where they basically did roadworks every day, all year, for the entire time I was there, which is like four years. <laughs> roadworks, roadworks, roadworks. And that Plus, was if you, if you live with someone that doesn't work nights. Yeah. They're, they're constantly making noise when you're trying to get to sleep. So yeah, that's, that's TMNT. It's, it's got some, some beautiful textures and animation. Uh, it's got uh, a nice little story about family. It's got some guff about monsters in it. And uh, it's the kind of film that I really wish more people had paid more attention to or had been handled better so it mm. didn't have the guff about the monsters. Mm. This film, like the, the, the threads of this film that are really good could be spliced with a completely different film wherein the turtles fight someone else or have a different adventure and it wouldn't really jar that much because it seems so kind of like they're, they're here and then they're there. There are some incredibly... I mean, the fight scene at the end, okay, the, the, the reason for it is fairly inconsequential but the fight scene itself is pretty kick-ass. Yeah. The whole yeah. thing, yeah, the, the animation is... is it's excellent for the There's, majority of the film. They asked their Hong Kong team, how many foot soldiers can we actually have? Um, sorry, foot ninja, they called, obviously, in, in everything apart from the 87 cartoon. How many foot ninja can we have uh, animated? They said 250. Can you give us 250? Yes? Okay. <laughs> a lot was what I noticed. A lot of things <laughs> yes. moving around at a time. I thought, that's pretty impressive, actually. I'm, I I'm would like hate it. to have seen the render time on that. <laughs> There's oh, also we've only got seven months before we have to release the film. Hurry up! <laughs> There's a side plot where April is uh, now running an antique dealing um, business, which relates back to her antique shop in the first film, and um, 
uh, like, you know, she does global acquisitions and she's trying to get Casey on the straight and narrow, but he keeps going off and still fighting crime, even though he doesn't have to. And there's a sort of a concern for her in that respect, but they kind of sideline that again for monsters. And yeah, she didn't really do much in this film, to be fair. Yeah. Odd moment of ooh, karai. Ooh, karai. And then she gets pushed out of the party wagon. Yeah. And then April gets pushed out of the wagon. Yeah. Yeah. And, but the, I mean, like, April has been training as a kunoichi uh, female ninja by uh, Shredder, and apparently to the point where she can hold her own against up to 250 foot ninjas. So she's <laughs> pretty Shredder. badass for an antique dealing ex news reporter. Did you just say Shredder? Yeah, you mean Splinter. Did I say Shredder? Uh, yeah, Shredder. By Splinter. Sorry. <laughs> a lot of Shredder. For a minute splits. I thought, what did I miss? I thought, no, 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 that's got to be a mistake, surely. At the very <laughs> end, they take Max Winter's helmet and uh, put it on the shelf with a whole bunch of other Turtles paraphernalia that relates back to the previous movies. you got Shredder's helmet Shredder's from helmet. the first one. Uh, there's the Turtle Samurai armor from the crappy third film. Um, there's the Time Scepter which is from the crappy third film as well. There's actually a deactivated mouser lying on its side down the bottom. And um, at the top, there is a cracked ooze canister from Secret of the Ooze. And there is a crack going along it. Um, Now, it should say either TCRI or TGRI, and they deliberately put the crack in the middle so it cannot be identified as one or the other. Now, uh, TCRI is Techno Cosmic Research Industries, which is from the original comic. But they changed that in the Secret of the Use film to Techno Global Research Industries. Uh, possibly because back in those days they didn't do their research or care. <laughs> yeah. Who cares? It's for kids! Um, and there, there isn't that sense of who cares it's for kids in this film at all. This is made by people who... Uh, it, it feels like a film made by people for themselves... You know, they're like, oh, turtles are badass. I love these action figures. Uh, you know, I love these characters. I want to see a film like this. And it's so rare you get a film like that without, uh, you know, industry meddling. It doesn't seem like it was focus grouped. And they were like, right, well, we've got to have April do this. We've got to have, uh, you know, this character here for an action figure. It, it's, it's a film that has not been meddled with. It certainly needed more guidance and a bit, a bit more of an auteur. Uh, direction to it and you know ultimately at the scripting stages they could have changed the whole side plot around well the, the, the MacGuffin around to something a bit more I don't know tension filled interesting well it's almost as though the, the the people paying for it went right make us this film and then kind of got distracted by making something else something mm. with more more plot, more uh, money and more potential to make a lot more money I went every time they were asked the question yeah yeah sure go for whatever yeah and they were it's almost like they were just kind of forgot about it and let them do whatever they wanted really. yeah that's a pretty good thing <laughs> yeah it came out to very little fanfare I didn't remember any specific like big like advertising of this all over the place and people saying have you seen the Turtles film because it, it just seemed like a film for 10 year old boys and their if their parents were willing to take them along, then so be it. Yeah. Well, that's what I said earlier that I, I basically discounted it, uh, back in 2007. Mm. And that's basically why, cause any of the marketing I did see was very much of the cowabunga, bodacious, like, <laughs> aiming it at kids. This film is totally bodacious. Yeah. It was kind of, I, I'd only really, I'd get home from work, I'd put the telly on and there'd be an advert for it then at the mm. back end of the, of the kids program on ITV or whatever. I wouldn't see it any other real, real marketing push for it other than that so I just discounted it as a, as a movie for kids yeah. like the original one was but at that time I wasn't you know, I wasn't 12 anymore so 
And the 2012 Nickelodeon TV series, uh, I could say would be the, the tail end of this second phase, or, or the middle, but I actually think it's the beginning of a third phase. I, I think that um, the end of the 03 cartoon in 2010 was the end of this second run on the Turtles, and, and this one, this back to basics, let's start with the Turtles all being ninjas again, and Splinter sort of teaching them, and they're going out into the world. That's kind of the signifier of another age of Turtles. And I think yeah. with the movie coming up, then that's the, we are now at the beginning of a third phase. Yeah, we're into G3 now. Yeah, if you will. To mix my metaphors. I mentioned uh, the, the new cartoon on um, Twitter, and uh, very few people responded, but the one, uh, at least one person that did was like, oh, they've done this again. She didn't like the uh, new uh, title sequence music, which I'll play for you now, and I think is totally badass. Nods to other turtle stuff. Could they have fit into that? I love that. That was pretty cool. I like that. It's not the animation style isn't isn't really to my preference, but that as as an intro sequence goes, nothing wrong with that at all. It does grow on you. The um, mm. the bit at the very end when they all sort of they all strike a pose uh, is a reference obviously oh. to the original yeah. comic front cover for that. They, the whole thing does seem like a remix of like cherry picking that their favourite bits, the production team's favourite bits from previous turtle stuff, and um, it what would seem like a total mess on paper actually works pretty well. The um, there's something about CG animated uh, TV shows where they they never get the weight right. I don't know why this is, but like if you get a character land on some pavement and then walk along, it always seems like this horrible, crappy marionette that's actually hovering a millimeter off the ground and they're having their little spindly legs controlled from above. But these guys actually seem to have a little bit more weight to them. It's nowhere near as as like I say, as lush and beautiful and detailed as the um, uh, the O seven movie. But if it was, it would cost millions of pounds. Um, per episode, it's it's got a lot more sort of a whippy kind of uh, pace to it, and it seems a lot more wacky than the uh, film. And it doesn't have that that level of drama, and it doesn't have that level of uh, familial tension yet. There is potential for them to get there to, uh, later, but at the moment, it actually starts off pretty light-hearted, um, which I think is actually fine because if you get too serious about Ninja Turtles. Then you end up going to ridiculous lengths to avoid being ridiculous. Because ultimately, it is a crazy, mad, stupid, silly concept designed, not necessarily originally to sell action figures, but originally designed to be a parody of comics. So if you're too navel-gazing about it, then you're missing the point. So that's why I'm hoping that the um, the Michael Bay film, or whatever it ends up being, isn't too po-faced 
like Transformers with horrible, racist, stupid humour. You're on <laughs> like a Transformers. Bet. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just, you know what? I, I'm not going to expect anything from this film as long as I'm, as far as I'm concerned. What I'm hoping for is that the Nickelodeon TV show maintains its identity, and whatever happens to the film, the uh, the Nick show keeps what it is. Now, this doesn't usually happen. Like I said, the um, the 03 version ended up changing itself to be more like the 07 film, although less of the drama and more just adding pupils to them and bringing them back from the future, back from the future, to, to, to being back in the sewer. Uh, but, say, Avengers, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, they have now changed to be uh, more like the Avengers movie. Um, for some reason, they changed Spectacular Spider-Man to Ultimate Spider-Man, and it's less like the films. You, Which doesn't make any sense. Spider-Man always seems to be at the short end of the stick for a lot of stuff. Mm. I, I, honestly, again, I'm going to say this again. I recommend Spectacular Spider-Man. It's one of the greatest superhero animated shows ever. Right, voice actors. We, we've got uh, Jason Biggs. He of the pie. Hey, wait a second. Aren't you that guy that fucked the pie? You see, man? You see? It's never... It's never, hey, hey, you were a loser, weren't you? Or, dude, you rocked in Boys and Girls. No, it always comes back to that fucking pie. Haunted by it. You put your dick in a pie. Enough. Well, now he's Leonardo, and um, uh, he, he's a bit more lighthearted uh, as with the tone of the show. The thing that, that Leo has, this Leo has that the the rest of them don't, he watches the Hanna-Barbera Star Trek, only here it's called Space Heroes. It's a parody of the Hanna-Barbera Star Trek. And it's uh, he has taken all of his leadership skills from the Captain Kirk of this show. So he's like, wow, that's good leadership. And it's obviously completely annoys Raph whenever he sees Leo watching this. Like, seriously, this is how you're going to lead us into battle. Captain Ryan, the rebellion is growing. We have to get off this planet. No. But Captain. I said no. We, we may have started, started this rebellion, rebellion by accident. accident. But by the rings of Nebulon, we are going to finish it on purpose. Aye, sir! Seen this enough times there, Chief? Would you shh? This is the best part. We interrupt this program to bring you breaking news. Oh. Yeah, Raph himself, as I said before, Sean Astin. And he doesn't sound like Samwise Gamgee at all. I probably wouldn't have recognized him. Um, like I said, he's less aggressive than uh, Nolan North's Raph. But there's a, a really good episode, I think it's actually only the third one, where um, Splinter tries to get Raph to deal with his uh, anger at being insulted. The Splinter in this is like the 87 version, was previously a human who became a humanoid rat later. In every other version, he's a rat that became a sort of humanoid rat. I'm not sure why they've gone back to this, but ultimately I think they've cherry-picked from the 87 show and gone, you know, that's what people think Splinter is like. Hmm. And also, because he has the benefit in hindsight of being a human, he can teach the turtles things. Whereas, ultimately, if you've been a rat... You can really only teach them from a certain ratty perspective. You know, and how are they talking if he's a rat? Who, who, who taught them language at all? They somehow <laughs> found a television? Yeah, I actually kind of prefer the idea of Hamato Yoshi turning into Splinter rather than Hamato Yoshi's rat. Yes, I, I a, rat, a rat becoming a, a humanoid rat makes more sense from the, the, persp- the, the basis that the turtles were turtles that became humanoid turtles. Mm. And, it was the same root cause. Yeah. But yeah, he would basically be a, a really shit scared humanoid rat who had no idea what he was doing and yeah. didn't know why he couldn't fit up a drain pipe anymore. Why would he wear clothes? 
Why would he have the trappings of wearing ninja clothes? That doesn't. I mean, as we said, it was a rat that could do kung fu in the <laughs> karate in the in the nineteen ninety film. It's ridiculous. And it goes on the old premise of kung fu masters are are worldly wise and sort of kind of thing, isn't it? No, I'm not saying that a, a man that turns into a humanoid rat is not ridiculous. <laughs> Look at it from the point of view of say David Cronenberg's The Fly. Brundle was turning into something and trying to hold on to some of his humanity throughout that. You can sort of understand that as a character's narrative growth. But if he was, if the fly was about a fly that turned into a human, that would make no sense. He only has the cultural reference points of a fucking fly. I can't believe you've you've referenced David Cronenberg's The Fly to TMNT. But, I don't know, I was just, this the first... It's a good one, I'll grant you. ...turning into something else. No container can hold me. Throughout that film, oh, if you've not seen David Cronenberg's The Fly, for goodness sakes... See. Hang on, hang on, let me just check something. Matt? Even I've seen it, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but you hadn't watched a damn thing, had you? Uh, Matt has now Have seen now. The Thing. What did you think? It was good, I liked it. Right then. So yeah, uh, uh, Splinter is here voiced by Hoon Lee and um, uh, there's, they, they mine a, a lot of humour out of him. He's similar to um, uh, Marco Splinter, but he seems a lot younger and a bit more stern. All due respect, Sensei, I can't keep fighting alien technology with a six-foot staff. I was hoping to upgrade my weapon. Hmm, a seven-foot staff. Interesting. No, I meant using modern technology. Ah, a solar-powered staff. I'm serious, Sensei. I know. It's a dangerous monster! Raphael, there is no monster more dangerous than a lack of compassion. My mistake. I see. You made a wise decision, Michelangelo. Huh? Yes, I never thought I'd hear myself say that either. But we're still chaining him up, right? Of course. I am compassionate, not insane. There's yeah. there's times when like um the when uh, Donnie said that uh, he wanted to upgrade his staff because he was sick to death of fighting with a wooden stick, which is like a direct reference to that um, uh, college humor video I played last week. Uh, Spencer said, "Yes, you should upgrade your your weapon. We, we, we ninjas have been doing that for years." And Donnie went, "I can't believe it's that. So unfair. Oh, thank you." <laughs> and it's this, this sense that he's been a sort of hard taskmaster, but he doesn't all, he, you know, he surprises his uh, students and, and, you know, when he finds ways for them to grow, uh, he will nurture them in that direction. Donnie himself, like I say, is my, is my uh, favorite character so far. He's uh, played by Rob Paulson, who did the original Raphael in 1987. And I recognize the, his voice, but I couldn't place him. I felt like it was somehow connected to Turtles, but he's not at all playing him like uh, 80s Raph. He's, Donny has, is a lot more like he is in the 2007 film, um, but he's more anxiety ridden. He's like a younger geek who hasn't quite found himself. They've characterized him by giving him a gap in his teeth, his, his front teeth. And I was like, when I first saw the figure, I went, what is that? But, it really works because it makes him, he's got these big wide eyes and this, like he's got so much more room to grow. So they kind of hammer home the teen aspect of him there. But at the same time, he's also, he's smarter than his brothers and. I was going to say, he, he comes across as he's the young, he's the youngest of all mm. of them, but he's the smartest. So he's, he's got that sort of youngest brother, uh, smart guy thing cracking off that he's not quite sure who he is. He feasibly has the most potential as well. Hmm. Because he could grow, definitely. There's a, there's a, he gets the hots for April immediately. Now, this I think was a new thing. I don't think any of the turtles have ever actually really 
uh, fancied April so much. She tends to be lumbered with Casey Jones. Poor April. But this Depending is, on the interpretation of Casey, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, he's okay in the 07 version, but I mean, that, like being stuck with the Elias Coteus version, Jesus. Donnie in this likes April, and she's played by Mae Whitman. She of Katara. <laughs> so, uh, element is where I know her from. Arrested Development, of course, yeah, she's Anne Bland. Anne Veal. <laughs> um, teach me your secular ways. <laughs> you haven't really watched There's that. a joke that goes all right over my head. Yeah. You haven't watched Arrested Development? What? No. And you haven't watched The Last Airbender? I haven't watched Last Airbender. <laughs> no, no, but Matt hasn't watched The Last Airbender. Oh, right. right. But I watched all of it. I watched some of it. Off you go, Netflix. <laughs> I <took laughs> <back>. <laughs> Those are two of the best animated and and comedy shows of all time, and you've got to see them both, if only for Mae Whitman. Uh, Anyway, so, yeah, in this, it it almost seems like, I don't know if you you got this as well, Neil, they don't know what to do with uh, with April. She turns up in the first one. Her father, Kirby, named after Jack Kirby, gets kidnapped, and she's like, I will get my father back. Can I come and live with you, Turtles? Yes, you can. And then she lives in their sewer base and just sort of bums around the place. Yeah, I think that's the... I think they might have made a slight mistake in making her a teenager as well. Yeah. I, 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 they sometimes do it, and then it ends up, yes, we're going to make this character younger, and then we'll do nothing with him. Yeah. <coughs> Rogue. Well, I mean, I've not seen, I've not seen it, but what I'm, what I'm reading here, but uh, Donnie has a crush on on April, and it's almost like they made her a teenager so that uh, for a potential romance, possibly, yeah, between the. Turtle and the human, so we're stop it, bestiality stop it. to Nickelodeon shows now. I, I don't know, it just seems a, stop it. <laughs> it seems a bit of an odd move, really, because the, the whole point of April is that she's independent and, and strong-willed and, and completely able to look after herself and not yeah, that, into interspecies relationships, not, in, not into to sleeping with turtles. Yeah, I mean that's kind of her thing so it is a bit of an odd choice maybe we're overthinking this a little too much but that does doom the Donnie and in fact all the rest of them to a completely sexless romance free life until they meet Venus de Milo and her three sisters (laughs) so I is that a bizarre euphemism (laughs) (laughs) well they do have three fingers oh (laughs) anyway broken Neil yeah No, you haven't, but bloody hell. I don't massively... Revenge for the zombie thing there, Neil, frankly. I don't object to the the romance subplot with uh, April. I do think that April needs to have more to do in the actual show. Fortunately, unlike something like, say, the the uh, re-imaged version of Thundercats, which has now uh, pretty much been confirmed as being cancelled, even though Mm -hmm. the the first series, I actually really liked it. It was good. It it kind of petered out by the end. They needed a big showdown between Lionel and and Mumra and some kind of resolution. It sort of ended on a... Uh, way, um, yeah, which is a shame. Which is a damn shame because now it'll never end properly. But this has been greenlit for a second series before the first series is even finished yet. So that's good. So we know that this will continue, and hopefully there'll be much more room for characterization later. It feels maybe a bit like the first series of Avatar, Neil. Like there's a lot of goofing yeah. around, and there's an overarching plot, but they're just they're, they're having. Fun. They're finding the they're using this like like all good first seasons. They're using it to find their feet somewhat mm. and yeah. see what's working, and sort of adjust and build on for later seasons. Seasons, hopefully. There's not been any bits that they clearly wanted to really get to you emotionally. A few times when Yoshi talks about his uh, his past, from the sounds of it, his wife and child were killed by the shredder. 
so there could be some some real um, uh, anguish there. But they they tend to sort of shy away from really bringing it down and being too heavy to begin with. But there, there's a possibility. I don't want to um, oversell it though. I don't I don't think from watching it right now that it will get to the heights of Avatar. But it's better than it's been. Uh, yes, it, it's one of the better ones out there. There's a great bit in a uh, one of my favorite episodes, Metalhead, where uh, Donnie has is rather than trying to um, upgrade his stick, has built a well repurposed a robot to go out and do his fighting for him as a drone, which interestingly seems to be kind of a I think uh, Raf says something like it's fighting for cowards in a throwaway way, which is kind of a social comment. Yeah, Metalhead's out there and he's on the rooftop with April, and it's this creepy kind of like metal turtle sort of like turns around and stares at April and, and Donnie's looking at her through camera eyes and he goes, wow, this cram is great. I can see April and she's none the wiser. I can hear you, Donnie. Ah, uh, how do I put this thing on mute? Um, I was just, God, I hope she bought that. That's the loud hailer. <laughs> and so yeah, there's a, there's a great kind of awkwardness with, uh, with Donnie going on there and um, I'll see if I can get that clip in the show somehow. And then there's Mikey, who uh, always runs the risk of being the most annoying of all of them, and in this is the most annoying. He even goes out of his way to annoy Raph. Now, this actually seems like quite a good idea if you if you want to characterize Raph as being angry, but not just habitually angry about everything, then just get Mikey to annoy him all the time. And there's a point where he's literally poking his head because he's bored, just to get Raph to to to, um, to react. And, of course, Raph overreacts and beats the crap out of him. Um, and that happens quite a lot. And it's, it seems, you know, actually a lot more realistic than any previous depictions where, like, you know, if you get two brothers together, one of them is like Midge Meister, and the other one is like Neil. Eventually, Midge is going to get slapped. You know what's really, really annoying? When Midge is not around, I'm that guy. I you do it one. all the time to Shona. I wind drops <laughs> McChronic. I wind showing up as well. <laughs> See, we're all like Mikey, really. Yeah. The, the key to Mikey is ultimately his naivety. Um, he befriends uh, Dog Pound, Chris Bradford. Oh, I just remembered who you're on about. He befriends the um, Chuck Norris guy. Yes. Rad Brad. Chuck Norris. Yeah, um, Mikey in his naivety befriends via, um, I think it's called MyFace or something like that, a social networking site, Chris Bradford, one of the world's premier martial arts action stars, um, who is Chuck Norris. He's voiced by the great Clancy Brown, and he's got that kind of, you know, dismissive, uh, tough guy voice he's got going on there. Um, and he's actually, he's a secret uh, soldier for Shredder. And uh, Mikey gets taken in by him and he wants Rad Brad, as he calls him, to teach him his secret dragon death cutter. So, so when uh, he finds out that uh, Rad Brad was, uh, was less than uh, virtuous and less than straight with him, he, he's a little bit crushed. Yeah, it's actually, that is a really good episode. I think that, out of the ones I've seen, that's probably my favourite one. I do enjoy that one. I think it's a good Mikey story. And the fact that they in no way, shape or form hide the fact that that guy is seriously meant to be Chuck Norris. Yeah, he's got a big medallion as well. And uh, he's got another um, guy in in Shredder's henchman gang called Sever, who for some reason is basically just Puss in Boots. Yes. He has got a voice like this. And for this I would charge a great price. Uh, He's actually a Brazilian street thug. And uh, both of them end up being mutated and becoming this version's Bebop and Rocksteady. But although they bicker, they're not idiots. Which yeah. is a, a good change to make. I think. Yeah. 
It's, rather than just recycling the same two characters, it's nice to uh, get the archetypes back. The, the problem, like we said about the original eighties one, is the bad guys weren't capable. Yeah, they, that's the difference with this. These guys are. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and Schroeder himself, I've only seen him in a few episodes, but there was uh, you know, there's an iconic moment in episode nine, the Gauntlet, where after fighting Rad, Brad, and Zeva, uh, they have to face down Shredder and they're not prepared for it, and he kicks their asses, and they lose. And it's on a rooftop, and like I said, there's something iconic about the turtles facing down Shredder on the rooftop. That was from issue one back in 1984. They do it in 1990 in the movie. They do it repeatedly in 2003's series, and they do it here. Uh, And in fact, the bit where Leo fights Raph on the rooftop is iconic of that moment, only it feels wrong because they're fighting each other. Hmm. It's not necessarily that that is a great moment, although it is, but the next um, episode, you start with the turtles trying to track down Shredder, and they get attacked, and then they get taken out really quickly, and you think, oh, God, this is Leo having a terrible dream that that he can't lead, and it sort of seems to be focusing on Leo's inability to sort of hold them together, and then you're thinking, oh, it's it's a dream, and then Splinter wakes up out of the dream, and you realise that Splinter's suddenly really worried about his kids. The episode before that, he says... At the very end, there's this great kind of speech moment saying, you know, whether you're prepared for it or not, we are now at war, which is a great kind of Dumbledore rolling up the sleeves Gandalf moment, which is, you know, I hope there's more serious moments like that um, throughout. It it doesn't have to be deadly serious, but occasionally if they just hit those notes in between the silliness, then they'll be able to keep it juggling well. Yeah, that is. I don't think I've seen that episode, so. The Gauntlet number nine. So, yeah, track it down. Um, so yeah, I'm going to uh, keep watching this. I will report back with my findings when we get closer to the... Uh, I think we'll probably end up doing a review of the Michael Bay Turtles movie, just to go with this as a part three. <laughs> and you guys can see how the uh, series has progressed. I think I swear this is you doing your Mikey. Let's wind up, Neil. Neil, you've got to go watch another Michael Bay film. Poking you in the head, Michael Bay's Turtles. And you know what's really bad? I'll do it. And you know, I know you, you know, I'll go and see Transformers Four as well. Uh, the animation actually has this kind of whip quick kind of. Uh, what's it most similar to, Neil? Oosh, I, I don't know. It's. it's- it's suddenly their, their, their expressions will change when they're surprised or angry and there'll be like a little like comic book like oh. like triple exclamation oh, oh you mean like sort of like the anime style isn't it something it does happen yeah. in like uh, comedy animes where they'll do the the, the, the colour will suddenly drain but you obviously see it or the, the anger light anger throbbing mark comes mm. on the head so, so like, yeah, it's um, got that sense of humour their eyes will suddenly turn into two white saucers like you know it's, it's, it's almost like Tom and Jerry or there'll be like a, a, a sudden white blob will come out of the side of their mouth like they're drooling but not they're not animating drool it's just like a, a, a stylized aspect of that yeah. uh, which is, is I think it's quite jarring when you first watch it but when you get used to it, it they do that in avatar in the last airbender at times but it has nice touches and good comedic moments and though if you like that kind of thing i'm used to it with anime i've seen it a lot so it is funny to me it's still funny to me I look, when it's used right it's hilarious and it bears up to re-watching as well which is something that a lot of animated shows don't have and certainly the 03 version doesn't have and certainly the 87 version doesn't have. So yeah, at the moment, the Turtles' future is in good hands, at least on TV. So for that, we can end on a positive note. Yes. And if the film sucks, it'll only be the same as half of the others. For 15 years, we train without distraction. Now it's time for Ninja 
too much no i was good i didn't sit there and shout about forever what's wrong with forever don't like forever it's just the fact well, that he, actually no you can talk about forever now yeah what was it what's the issue all right so with 2000 the 2003 animated series there's a, a tv sort of like a tv movie where these where the 2003 turtles meet the 1997 no 98 1987, uh, 1987 turtles so um and the trouble is the way it's done is that it paints the 2003 turtles as always with it knowing you know completely serious knowing what they're doing and completely with it mm. and it paints the 87 turtles out as complete and utter morons <laughs> but it also but sometimes it works it's like a joke like the 87 turtles end up with the in the 2003 turtles timeline mm-hmm. And then later on, they end up in the age. So the, the the newer turtles end up in their timeline. That made me and, laugh. The way they were like, "What is wrong with this place?" And the line that the I love what the eighty seven turtles say: "We've got to go and rescue April." How do you know that? We always have to go and rescue April. Yeah. They rescue her from a giant banana thing. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, there's little nods in it, but I think it's just the I way. I love the bit where when, um, the new ninja Michelangelo is uh, being ferried down the street to attack the big bad guys on the turtle blimp and they're going at about two miles an hour and he says this is the lamest ninja vehicle i've ever been on <laughs> yeah but it's sort of just, it's just it's a little bit i think sometimes it comes across as being just a little bit too mean-spirited towards the original animated series and i think that's what <laughs> bugs me whereas because uh, i think scooby the first scooby-doo film has that problem of being really mean-spirited to what it actually comes from but it does have some really good moments that, that they actually end up in the uh, proper Turtles, or well, original cartoon Turtles timeline, which is fantastic because the original Turtles can't stand either of them. Mm, yeah, the, the badass 84 Mirage black and white Turtles are scary. Source Dimension? Source Turtles! Ah! What is this? Eight wannabes. On our turf. Trying to steal our act. I strike two on my way down. Donatello takes out a third with his staff. Already the pudgy ones are starting to panic. Raph loves this stuff. He's not alone. Why is he narrating Crazy? Hardcore crazy. I love these guys! Ah! <laughs> Stop! We're trying to save you from the, from the Shredder! The Shredder 
What do you know of the Shredder? We've sworn to terminate the Shredder to avenge Master Yoshi. Terminate? With extreme prejudice. <laughs> and if you actually pay attention, there's a scene where it pans around and you see all these turtles from other dimensions, and you will see references to the films, to the to the to the next mutation that's to the Japanese only like super mutant Toshinden Tensai, yeah. um, like fighting robot turtles, which we never yeah. got in the West. I should so go and look that up. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, we definitely never got this. God. <laughs> this is like made up. Oh my god! What the? <laughs> oh god, now what? Oh, Upcoming totally badass bebop and rock city. And a dragon shredder. Dragon shredder, okay. Super Tataras. He looks like Sail! Sail mutation, kick ass! Nice. The turtles merged into Turtle Saint and displayed the biggest power. But of course. <laughs> oh my god, they turned into a mega... However, that has only encouraged the beginning of the disaster. Cheesy crazy. <laughs> Tired fights have overflowed our shells. Go, go, turtles. Power up transformation. <laughs> Kicks go boom, boom. Overwhelming, surprising transformation. Oh, yes. It's Japanese. Of course they combine. Obviously. I must find this. Right. I must you, watch you know this. What? Whenever the West gets a kicking for taking something that's not from the West and passing it through a filter of what is appealing to the West, uh, you know, uh, it just makes me think of this. Oh, no, no, no. They, they, they do it in the fucking country does the same thing. Japan no, 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 goes, do it. Take your turtles and we'll make them into super robot fighting ninjas. And it's like, they just make it into the same shit. Oh, no, they do the same to their own stuff. There's a, a, um, a movie version of Initial D. Initial D is a, a really good animated series about a guy, about street racing. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's not like Fast and Furious. It's a hell of a lot better. It's, oh, cool. it's, it's, it's a lot more character based. Fast and Furious. I do, but I'll admit it's fucking brain dead. <laughs> but um they did a film. The film is terrible. The film like just gets mucks about with characters really, really badly. Did they it turn turns the super fighting robots. No, but they turn the main guy's supportive dad who's slowly taught him to race over years into this abusive arsehole. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, they, they they're just as bad really. But I just want to see that because I feel like I have taken some weird sort of drugs. <laughs> Which is how you feel when you watch any sort of Super Sentai, because it's just weird, man. I think that the most sort of uh, weird thing about this is the fact that it happened ages ago, and we were completely unaware of it, and without looking for it, we would never have known. It's not like it's just suddenly happened to Japan. That happened when we were kids. 
you can tell that's around uh, when the uh, the mech stuff was kind of popular. Mm, just tried a Gundam wing, maybe. Yes, uh, but uh, interesting. Interesting nonetheless. I want to see that just because, what the fuck? One final thing, the greatest moment in the entire franchise so far in comic, TV show, video game, or movie form is the climax of the Leo vs. Raph fight in the 2007 movie. Next time you see it, watch Raphael closely. He aggressively floors his brother and jabs a side blade into the rooftop beside Leo's face. Then he realizes in one horrible moment, firstly what he almost did in the grip of overwhelming aggression, and secondly that he has just beaten his elder brother, a formidable warrior whom Raph has always secretly venerated. This comes as a shock because he clearly expected Leo to outmatch him and put him back in his place. Without that skilled general to clash on equal terms with the self-appointed Ronin, both of their identities trickle away in the pouring rain. And Raph's only recourse at this point is to run away. Let's finish off. Anything else to be said about the turtles? Turtles still kick ass. They do. I would also say that I hope this new the Nickelodeon series doesn't go on for too long because their universe cannot sustain that length of storytelling. You, you know, it requires it, rebooting every few years. I think I, I'm going to do this now. This is what you've been trying to avoid. The comparison to Avatar actually works here. What they need to do is tell a, a nice long story, but only in like what was it? Three, three seasons. seasons, yeah. If they, if they did that, a nice, big, big, epic story, but nicely contained in three seasons. And planned out, yeah. Yeah, I think that could really work. Yeah. Also, they haven't gone absolutely crazy to begin with and just, like, chucked monster after monster after monster at them. And, they, you know, they've fought a bunch of guys so far, but it's not like they've just been chucking out the action figures uh, like crazy. Yeah, they're, they're, they're sort of, they're on the back foot. They're not just bombarding us with... Um, with with crap, yeah, yeah. Yet they might. Oh, there's Lego turtles coming along soon. Lego. You know what? That might actually work. You may get your party wagon yet. One last thing before we go is I will say the uh, I bought a Leonardo action figure in Toys R Us the other day, and it's it's totally awesome. Uh, <laughs> so I was having a look on on Google at some of the various toys, and some of them are like the the ones that I've got, the original ones are, are what they are. And there's some that are pretty cool. Some of them are awful. Yeah. Spindly-legged things. They just... They oh, no, no, no. You want to laugh? Go look at uh, uh, real Ghostbusters toys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, some of those weren't great. The ones with the screaming faces look terrible. Sort of like their, their heads would, get, like, go, Whoa! But, uh, but yeah, like, I, I can thoroughly recommend the uh, the new line from uh, Playmates. It's actually been Playmates all the way, except for a brief moment in uh, 2008, 2009, when NECA made some, but uh, based just on the um, Mirage comic from 1984. So they're like really mean looking turtles. But, um, but yeah, the new ones from, from Playmates, they've got 
just enough of the charm of the original, like, like late 80s figures with it. They've even got those sort of like the various extra weapons you get in a sprue, uh, which you have to sort of, you know, cut out. So you got like throwing daggers and ninja stars in there as well. And, uh, and just like nice, you know, really cool, kind of awesome, poseable things. So even if you don't like the new Nickelodeon TV series, they've actually rendered your favorite characters in an extremely, um, appealing way. Yeah, so cool. yeah, check them out. Oh, they, they look good. I'm going for Donatella next. <laughs> okay, right, that will do, gentlemen. Thank you very, very much for being on this one. I'm not sure what music we should end on. Do you think Shell Shock from the 07 film? Yeah. Yeah. It's immature, but uh, but it's good fun. It's... As long as it's not, go ninja, go ninja, go. Now, that would be last week. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen a turtle get down? Um, yeah, no, this is uh, Gym Class Heroes with Shell Shock. And actually, I do want to say before we go, Klaus Bedelt's score, he's the guy who did the original parts of the Caribbean, uh, Curse of the Black Pearl uh, music, uh, is, is really accomplished for Ninja Turtles. It almost gives it more weight than uh, a title like this would normally deserve in Hollywood. So it's, uh, I've been playing various aspects of that throughout the uh, show. So yeah, it's, that's, that's recommended to his score, Klaus Bedelt. And uh, yeah, Jim Class Heroes, Shell Shock. And we will see you very soon for more Digital Gonzo. Thank you very much to Matt Harrier of GamerDork. You're welcome. And Neil Taylor of Gameburst. Cowabunga, dude. <laughs> Booyakasha. <laughs> Booyakasha. <laughs> Skilly be bop, be rock steady over kicks and snares. So what you scared for? Up, prepared for tunnel rasmatics. Far from your average rappers, new era. You rock a super cat, breathing bricks. Exhale, train rail. City life better spot us. Leave the nonsense behind us. This is how we do it. I'm just a hooligan, drunk walk in the gym, spitting raw sewage. Spinning cell movements, turnstile jumper. Pump step up to get beat down bumper. Aliens in bright colors, so bright. Leave you crying like late night mothers. Hoverboard kick flips. Landed a little to the left as you can bet the end result was a split lip. Skip school, made shortcuts. Act foolish like kids, licking windows. Well, so Ringing in your ears like the bells to L Rock. It doesn't matter whether or not you sell lots. If you can find solace in the cold cell block, this is Shell Shock. Welcome to Shell Shock. Ringing in your ears like the bells to L Rock. It doesn't matter whether or not you sell lots. If you can find solace in the cold cell block, this is Shell Shock. Welcome to Shell Shock. I did it my way, sat back and let him live soft. So we can die hard, you be Kanye, we exist in circles. So the first way to push me is blocks out like Girl Scout cookies. This is not a test, we don't trust you, not a fan of me. The rock of you, I don't understand. Can you blame me? I guess that's just the way. My pop brings a penny for a thought, a nickel for a swift fist in the face, but thinking that I let my players go to waste. Nope, top of the food chain, but way too cool to not drop a little sarcasm in your water, man. Did it, I stutter, man. Could you please make a toast for the kicker? Cause you know I'm spitting butter, man. Same thing, new day, this man. Same traffic time, same traffic shell shock. Ringing in your ears like the bells to L Rock. It doesn't matter whether or not you sell lots. If you can find solace in the coldest cell block, this is Shell Shock. Welcome to Shell Shock. Ringing in your ears like the bells to L Rock. It doesn't matter whether or not you sell lots. If you can find solace in the coldest cell block, this is Shell Shock. They're heroes in a half shell and they're green. Okay, right, here's the thing. Being on the half shell is, th- is something you apply to raw oysters. You don't eat turtles out of a half shell. And even if you did, they're not in a half shell. They're in a whole shell. I, I came across, I didn't know, I didn't know the term on, on the half shell until relatively recently. Um, at which point suddenly that whole, uh, song, that whole part of the song 
It's something horrific because now we're, we're basically we're, we're now talking about eating these scooping out the turtles. turtles. Teenage adolescent turtles. Basically, baby killers now. They have hopes and dreams, and we're going to eat them. <laughs> we are repulsive. Who even Evidently, Shredder wrote that first in the song. Yes, they're on the hops. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I do remember Bebop and Rocksteady specifically wanted to cook and eat the turtles in a stew. They did mention that several times. As they're mutants, is that technically cannibalism? Maybe. You'd certainly probably end up with radiation poisoning. Your mama smells like a problem. Your mama got six elbows and she threw the robot. Your mama smells like the inside of this recording booth. Did anyone get the license plate of that thing that hit us last night? It looked like your mom, dude. <laughs> yeah, that would make her your mom, too, doofus. <laughs>